Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. It is Monday morning, June 27, 843-661-0937. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. As we um, head into this week, it's a it's a very interesting week. Um, this would be a show this morning that I would much rather hear from you as opposed to what I've got um, to talk about. It's, it's kind of a... We always say this is the most important election in American history. This is the most important decision rendered in American history. Um, For those in the pro-life movement, I get it. I mean, I really and truly get it. I am pro-life, but I'm not a part of the pro-life movement. I guess to some degree I have been. But for you um, folks out there who have dedicated time, energy, and effort to overturning Roe v. Wade in the name of um, constitutionality or not, protection of human life or not. I mean, it's been a very complex debate. Uh, one thing Peggy Noonan did yesterday morning that I thought was very interesting, um, in usual fashion, the mainstream media misrepresents the argument and says it's an abrupt decision, a shock to the American political system. It's not abrupt. It's not a shock. It's righting a wrong that the American political right, right has worked on for over a generation. And to the dedicated men and women, and I know many having run for lieutenant governor who were so dedicated to the pro-life movement, uh, the protecting and preserving of human life, um, those folks really deserve more credit than I can ever give to those people. I mean, the stick-to-itness, yeah, that's the word this morning, the stick-to-itness that these people exhibited over the long haul of the commitment they made to that issue, um, for some, it was a litmus test. For some, it was a very um, singular-focused, uh, po- I don't want to say political ideology, but the overturning of Roe v. Wade was why they were intimately involved in politics. Congratulations. Um, I'll share this with you. Um, Friday mornings, I leave here and go straight to the gym. And that's just the way my schedule is. Every Friday morning, I leave here uh, and go to the gym. I get my workout in, then I go do my thing Friday afternoon, um, try to not overbook or overcommit myself to um, – Friday afternoon endeavors, but um, as I'm pulling into the gym, Glenn Beck is speaking with someone about something. I think it's one of these DAs who's got all the, I mean, a bunch of people walked out of his office and I think Beck had attacked him and the guy wanted to come on the show. Anyway, they're having kind of a back and forth and Beck's teeing it up and all of a sudden he says, "Um, sir, we're going to have you, we're going to have to have you back on later. The Dobbs decision just dropped and, um, and he got emotional and I got emotional. I mean, I really did. Sitting in the parking lot at McLeod Fitness, I got a little bit emotional thinking about how many people, I don't want to call names, but when I ran for office, I can I can count on two hands the people that you knew were just hyper-dedicated to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I'm talking about some of these crisis centers, some of these uh, pregnancy centers, some of these adoption agencies, or adoption advocacy agencies, um, I'm thinking about three ladies in particular when I ran for lieutenant governor that I shared uh, time with, spent time with, shared political um, stories with. They were just committed. I mean, they, they like conservative values, Rev. They like low taxes. They like less government. But at the end of the day, um, they considered it atrocity what we had done for year after year after year after year after year. And I just kind of got emotional, not for me personally, but for those three ladies mm-hmm. and really about eight or nine people I know in my life that have just been intimately involved in American politics. And that's the reason. And, uh, you know, uh, one put on Facebook, I'm speechless. 
And I, I know the lady. I know how committed and dedicated she's in the upstate. And um, she has been a stalwart for the advancement of overturning Roe v. Wade. And um, to those people who carried the water, who did the heavy lifting, uh, who were the offensive linemen of this political movement, um, many thought they would never see the day that that decision would be overturned. I think most people believed, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg believed it was bad policy, but um, but I don't believe they believe. I don't think they thought they would ever see the day of seeing Roe v. Wade overturned, uh, but it was. I think we're having some technical difficulties here. So congratulations and thank you to all the men and women who dedicated whatever you did toward having Roe v. Wade overturned. Um, there's a new law of the land. Uh, it's as it should be. And, um, you know, we know this, the misrepresenting by the mainstream media of what the debate is. Um, I think Chuck Todd said yesterday, shame on Chuck Todd. I mean, that job is too important. I mean, hosting and moderating Meet the Press is too important for a hack like Chuck Jod, Chuck Todd to be doing the job. I mean, it's seriously. I mean, it, you know, Meet the Press is an iconic American political media brand. You would agree to that? Oh, yeah, of I mean, course. It, it, you know, the, um, I mean, it's, it, you expect a, a better shake than that. I don't expect well, conservatism. Well, I didn't watch. You'll have to tell me what he did or didn't do. Well, I mean, he said, you know, it's, I, w- I didn't watch any. They don't wear black robes any longer. They wear blue and red robes. Um, these folks don't like the Constitution because the Constitution bounds and limits government. I mean, they, at, at the core of this, that the American political left today um, does not like our Constitution because the intent of the Constitution is to limit and bound government to not do things it's not constitutionally entitled to do. I mean, that's the argument here. We didn't outlaw abortions. We returned abortions to the states. That's what this did, and that's the frustration I have. Somebody like Chuck Todd knows that, and he continues to fan the flames, and, and people put coat hangers on their Facebook post, and I'm talking about smart, responsible people, what I thought smart, responsible people, that nothing about this changed. It's just not a federal law any longer, and it never should have been. The federal government has no, and I listened yesterday to to a conversation between mm, semi-intelligent people about, you know, well, I mean, you guys want the the, the gun debate settled by the federal government, but you want the uh, the abortion debate settled by the state governments. You know, and I'm semi-literate. I mean, these are semi-literate political people. Guys, the, the, there is no explicit right to have an abortion in the Constitution. Period. Stop comparing the gun debate with, with abortion. They're not the same. The founders said via the Second Amendment that you have a right to keep and bear arms and that right shall not be infringed upon. That is explicitly stated in our Constitution. There is no constitutional right to have an abortion. So when the Constitution does not directly address it, it refers to the state. It defers to the states. That is the, the way our Constitution works. And, and the semi-literate people just don't get it. I mean, I understand you've got a, a feeling and an emotion that, that leads you to believe one thing or another, but, but we don't govern on feelings. We don't govern on emotions. We have a, a Constitution in place that can be amended. So if we want the federal government to oversee who gets abortions and who doesn't, then let's amend the Constitution. Let's go through the process that I found us put in place to amend the Constitution, but stop comparing these two decisions, the Bruin decision and the Dobbs decision. That they come off they come out almost simultaneously, and one says the states can't do this. The state of New York cannot limit your right to keep and bear arms. The federal government does not have the right to police abortions. Um, 
And I'm just tired of hearing these people that you expect to be a little more informed than they are. They, they do know better. They're just trying to, these political grievances that so many people have, um, being literate or not, being correct or not, being accurate or not, uh, really doesn't matter. But yesterday I just heard so many people with a responsibility to the political process. And Todd is one um, who said, you know, we, they don't wear black robes any longer. They would, no. They're following the Constitution. Now, here's the dirty secret. You ready? Mm-hmm. This is not the Roberts Court any longer. I mean, Roberts was was really hung up on this legacy. I mean, he was. He didn't want to be a conservative court. He wanted to be a liberal court. He wanted to be a court that was revered and respected as days gone by. Um, I heard or read yesterday something in the Wall Street Journal that some of his fellow um, justices are a little bit bothered by his impractical thinking, his his is 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 putting that before what the Constitution says. Now they didn't call justices by name, but some of the more conservative justices were bothered by you know Roberts wants the court to be kind of revered and held in high regard, not by his decisions, the constitutionality or not, but what they say about him at the cocktail parties, what they say about this court on Meet the Press, and and you don't we, we don't we don't legislate that. Excuse me, we don't. Um, enforce laws that way. We legislate that way. We absolutely legislate. And when the legislature outsteps or steps out of its bounds, the court is there to say what how the Constitution speaks to this issue article. And I just heard so many people over the weekend, I mean, dummies are dummies and fools are fools. And, and I could be a dummy and a fool. But, but there's semi-intelligent people out there saying things that are just totally inconsistent with truth and reality. That's all you heard all well, weekend. It, it, it's the, over the and over. constitutional right I mean, to an abortion but, has been a, but the, but the taken main, away. The, the, mainstream, I mean, the mainstream media should be made to register as a lobbyist. I mean, You're right about Most that. of us know that. But, but people who don't pay a lot of attention to this still get some of the regurgitation of news from the mainstream, and they think there's an intent there to be sincere and, and objective. There's just simply not. We should force the mainstream media to register as lobbyists. 843-661-0937 is our number. 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, programming note, we're on the air every day this week, live and in living color. Um, come Monday, uh, next week, well, July 4th is Monday. So we're off all next week. We'll have the um, the recorded editions of the best we could do of Wake Up Carolina. But yeah, we're on the air today, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday business as usual. So if you've got some um, some kind of pent-up demand, you better get it out there and um, speak. I've got a theory here that I'll advance before long, but uh, but I really want to hear what you out there have to say. Once again, my heart went, my, my emotions went straight to those um, eight or nine people that I've crossed paths with that I knew were so dedicated to seeing this overturned. And, um, and when I saw the post on Facebook by the one lady, I'm speechless, it 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 it, it, I, I, it teared me up. I mean, it really did because I know how hard she's worked for this moment, for that moment in time, and um, for a brief second, for a brief second, I got a little bit kind of kind of well up with emotion. You know, like wow, never thought I would live to see the day that a court would overturn Roe v. Wade. This is not the Roberts Court any longer. This is the Trump Court. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, Roberts is a, I mean, he's not an irrelevant figure. Of course, he's the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, but he's not the, he's not the deciding vote any longer. I mean, the, um, the conservative wing of the court 
has the the juice, as we like to say, and um, and they'll get their way whether Roberts wants it to be the case or not. Let's go to the phone. Here is Breeze. Morning, Breeze. Kid, when that happens in the future, what I want you to do is drop down and grab a few push-ups, okay? <laughs> you know, you find yourself overwhelmed with emotion or something like that, grab a few push-ups and you'll be okay, all right, Hoss? I got me a few uh, about 30 minutes after I heard the announcement. Well, sometimes you got to do it immediately. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. But listen, here's my question, kid. Anybody can look at, I mean, you could pull up ultrasounds and show the different developments of the baby. And you, know, and you say, well, at what point are you okay killing it? Okay, so, I mean, and, and, that, and everybody knows now the science behind how long, and all of that. My real question is, not so much the, the the average idiot out there just screaming my my body my blah blah blah, but why is the government why is the government the United States government so intent on killing these babies? That's the question we need to have to, need to ask. Why do they not? I mean, and again, why is the Democrat Party so intent on aborting their base? where the majority of abortions occur to African-American women. I mean, that's the questions we need to really be asking. Why are they so determined to do that? But I've got a quick story, and I know it's kind of beating a dead horse, but I had a client that tested positive for COVID last week, and um, I told him to have a stockpile of ivermectin. And so he had some ivermectin, and right after he tested positive, he said, I feel like crap, Breeze. He worked out with me Monday, started feeling bad Monday evening, Got tested positive Tuesday, took his four pills, and by Wednesday morning, he said it was like night and day. I mean, he said he felt really bad. And you know what he said? He said, Breeze, you were right. He goes, the United States government murdered millions of people. He goes, because if they just would have given them, given the people the stuff that was available, your ivermectin, your hydrochloroquine, he goes, it was just a miracle. He goes, I really felt horrible. And he'd had all of his vaccinations, you know, all of his vaccinations. And then I had another one of my liberal clients call me this morning and say, well, his wife came back from a trip to California. She's got COVID. He's certain he's going to get it. So he's going to take the next, next three and a half years off and wear a mask till he dies and everything. But I said, you know, I said, get you some ivermectin. But he doesn't want to get it because... To his God, the the, uh, the government, and all they've told him no. The Democrat Party said, "Don't take ivermectin because if you take ivermectin, you're a bad Democrat. You know, and you don't love government." So he's not going to take ivermectin. So he's going to be sick for about a week and a half. But the other client took the ivermectin and felt felt fine. So I mean, they, the government's got blood on their hands. I, again, I'll just tell you that. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one. 0937, someone else on the phone. Let's go there. Here is Joe in Hartsville. Morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. Yeah, it's amazing how liberals turn into conservatives real quick. If you notice, I listened to radio this morning, and if you think about it, it's true. When Trump was elected president, all the liberals ran out and got guns because of a tyrannical government. You know, and they, they announced that it's a radical government. But whenever they're in power, oh, that's, that's hey, you can't go against the government. You got to have a F-15 and a 
nuclear weapon. And now with the abortion thing, guess what they're calling for? The same thing we've been calling for all my life, abstinence. Absence. Don't have sex with your partners unless you're married. Hello? You know, that's, that, they know better. They know what's going on, but yet they... It's all a big, stupid game. That's why Republicans need to stand up, find some backbone, and say no to these idiots, because they know we're right. I mean, every time we get in power... I say we. Every time the the conservatives get in power and things, jobs increase, taxes go down, things go great. When they get in power, what happens? We're just letting people decide, and that's where it's supposed to be. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Well, to me, is a restoration for American constitutional government. I mean, that that's really the winner here. I mean, obviously, life is the winner. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The pro-life, pro-abortion debate. Um, life is the winner. No, no question about it. But, but the, the winner for the rank and file American is this restoration of American, I guess, constitutional law or an obedience or abiding by the constitution. Um, that's good for democracy. That's good for our Republic. Um, it's, it's kind of the high watermark as far as I'm concerned. Um, and it was a six to three decision, um, in typical fashion, uh, the the chief justice had a little more watered down um, concurrence, but you got Alito's opinion in um, in Dobbs. You got uh, Thomas's opinion in in uh, in the Bruin case. And that's the the New York gun law. Uh, both those came down last week, and um, this is a conservative court. I mean, it just simply is. This is not the Roberts court any longer. This is the Donald Trump court, and I couldn't help but think of one word: winning. I mean, I hate that you're winning. I mean, Trump always talked about winning. And, you know, he lost one election for president, some say, and he won the other. But um, but his legacy is, is, is firmly entrenched in American government. Unless something crazy happens, I mean, Barrett, I mean, th- these are young justices. And they'll be there for a generation. And if they, I mean, if this is the precedent on some of the major, major laws. I mean, Kavanaugh's let us down a couple of times, but, you know, Roberts has as well. But but these are squishy cases. What, what about the Republican that turned on Trump? And let's say you had somebody who, who was a very strong uh, pro-life believer, but they just turned on Trump and worked against him or at least voted against him in the last election. How do you feel today? Well, I mean, really and truly, it doesn't matter who the president is right now. I mean, in this case, in the, in the, in the New York City gun case and in the, um, in the Dobbs case, it doesn't matter who the president is. But because, and that's why I say it's, it's, it's kind of a restoration for constitutional law. I mean, the courts are there to make these decisions when, when, when politicians step outside the bounds and uh, boundaries of our But I'm just saying, he, he helped oh, sure. fulfill yeah, something course. that's important to you, and you, you basically turned your back well, on I mean, him. Because I'm sure there are some people out there that fit that profile. No question about it. But, but they, you would agree, I think, that they're entitled to fit that profile. Sure. I mean, you're entitled to say, I'm pro-life, but I don't like Trump. But, um, you know, if you are a part of the pro-life movement, um, Trump was the guy that got this done. I mean, he put, I mean, he, he said it. I mean, we can find the, the clip. I mean, see if you can find that during this next break. I mean, he said it. You know, I'm going to find three justices to put on this court that are going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And the majority of Americans said, that's Donald Trump saying that, man. That's not, you know, your, your, your standard bearer of American democracy. That's a crazy man, the wild man. But, I mean, yeah, we, we can find where Trump says that. Um, is uh can we take a break now mike 
Okay, I know you're having some technical difficulties over there. So let's take our first break of the morning. Once again, this is a show I'd love to hear from you. And um, what, what do you think about the decision rendered? I mean, we've gone from gun laws to abortion laws, and um, we, we didn't outlaw abortions. I mean, I would imagine California will have an, even a more liberal stance on abortion. Uh, where do we go from here? That's kind of an interesting question to ask ourselves. Back in just a moment. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. The irony in this, or one of the ironies in this, is for decades we've been told how in favor the country is of abortion, yet during that same period of time that we were told the Gallup poll says, and the Pew Research poll says, and the Monmouth and the Quinnipiac poll says um, that the country's in favor of abortion, uh, the pro-lifers have been making gains. I mean, there, there is no doubt about it. The pro-life movement has made monumental gains while we're told by the mainstream media that the country has really made its mind up, it's in favor of abortion. Um, the country, That's a complicated question. You know, do you support Roe? Well, I mean, I don't want to contradict the law of the land. You know, I support what the courts have decided. I don't like what the courts have decided. I think it's wrongly decided. I don't think it has a constitutional underpinning, but it's law of the land. Uh, we're a nation of laws. I don't want to be a lawbreaker, so I support, you know, what it said. That's how the number... When you, when you hear 75% of Americans approve of abortion, the, the, the question comes out, you know, um, do you support the Supreme Court's decision? Well, I mean, most Americans say, yeah, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. But but what, if I don't support it, what am I to do? So while, we're, while, we've been, while we've been told for, you know, three or four decades how in favor Americans are of having uh, abortions readily and available, the pro-life movement has made enormous gains. That's some of the irony in all of this. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Here is Dale in Florence. Good morning, Dale. Hey, guys. So Friday, I'm watching Maxine Waters lose her mind. But what little of it she had left. The irony to me is how badly these people want to kill babies. I just can't believe the bloodlust that they have. Uh, and, and Ken, we've had this conversation a lot of times. This is for the sake of convenience here. By and large, 95%. And, and here's some irony. Now there's going to be a whole lot more babies living because it's not convenient to go get an abortion because they have to travel a little bit. There's some irony for you. But the way that they have just lost their minds and I know that some people aren't going to say, are going to say, well, they're not actually killing babies and blah, blah, blah. But it really sort of is. And to me, this is just one of the greatest days in my political life. I didn't think I would live to see this happen. I hoped, I dreamed, I prayed. And I guess that tells you a little bit about the the the, the weakness of my faith. I prayed about it and didn't have the faith that God would come through. I was just so afraid. And this is just a wonderful time to be an American. You guys have a good day. Thank you, Dale. I thought of Dale. You know, I thought about I how long too. he's called this show and, and stood supportive of overturning Roe v. Wade in the name of protecting human life. There are a lot of ironies here. I mean, it's, it's irony uh, that in, what, 1990, Joe Biden chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee that confirmed uh, Senator Clarence Thomas 
I mean, as hard as Joe Biden fought against that. Well, he sure he voted against him, and he believed in Anita Hill. He gave interviews during the the campaign for president that he believed in Anita Hill. Um, so that I mean, you're looking for irony. The the, the mm-hmm. Dale touched on something that I uh, I mean, it, watching some of the Sunday morning shows yesterday. I went to church, but I stayed uh, as late as I could and watched the Sunday morning shows. But it, it, it Dale's exactly right. The passion and enthusiasm that the American political left have. Um, in supporting killing babies is scary. It's vile. It's disgusting. It's godless. I mean, th- those were my words. I understand the living gets messy debate. I certainly respect that. And I think, I, you know, we can have that debate. Uh, an 18-year-old gets pregnant. Uh, a 16-year-old gets raped. Uh, incest of a 15-year-old. Th- those are very legitimate human tragedies that deserve consideration, that deserve to be. I mean, they warrant a sophisticated and serious debate. I mean, it's no less an abortion, and I'm not arguing it's any less of an abortion. I'm not arguing that that a child born or a child um, conceived during rape or incest is any less of a life. I don't argue that, but I think we do have to be realistic and pragmatic and balance that with um with with, with kind of life in general. So so you know, I don't think that makes me a heathen. To look at that pregnancy a little bit different than another pregnancy, that there is a worldly view. I mean, we don't have God as president. We got human beings in Congress. We have human beings in state houses all over the country. Human beings have emotions and feelings, and those emotions and feelings are not going to be completely separated from how we settle this debate. Um, so, so no. I mean, to Dale's point, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that a a pregnancy conceived from a, a rape or incest is any less of a pregnancy and that child is not loved. And, and does, I mean, I, I would never argue that, but, but I do think there's a, you have to consider the human being. I mean, we have to, we have to consider the, the mom and, and the baby and, and what the left is doing to Rev is look at this as a single life. It's not a single life, but a woman becomes pregnant. There's a new life introduced to the equation. And unless we're considering that, the debate is invalid as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it gets complicated. It's very hard to, to decipher and figure and sort through. Life of the mother is another example of, um, you know, kind of kind of political conflict and personal conflict. And, and I think we all should struggle with what is best under those circumstances. I think those are genuine disagreeable, disagreeable positions. You have yours. I have mine. Rev has his. Mike has his. But when it comes to the I don't know, just the passion and enthusiasm in supporting a woman's right to have an abortion of convenience. I mean, that's godless. That's vile. That's disgusting. That's downright evil. And it's got to be called what it is. Once again, we, we can have a very serious debate about rape, incest, life of the mother. I mean, I think those debates are, are very legitimate. But but to just unbridled say, you know, a woman gets pregnant because she had sex with someone and now she doesn't want the baby. So let's just exterminate that human life because we want to. I mean, that's wow. Let's go to the phone. Here's Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Hey, uh, I, I, it, it really is a, in many ways, just a, uh, a great day because of the, uh, because of the, they finally done away with a bad law. And I can remember when this was passed, I had acquaintances and uh, a relative that was uh, were attorneys, and they uh, uh, they they thought it was bad law at that time. Whatever their opinion on abortion, they did not not think it was very good law. So I think it's good we got rid of that. 
But um, they, I, I think we've, we've seen now that the Democratic Party has turned in the party of death. They, they celebrate and they're obsessed with ending life rather than promulgating life. And I, it's, it's just a, it's a sad thing for them, but it's a great thing for the country because I think we, we would have a terrible punishment coming down on us from God. If uh, we did not limit this uh, slaughter of the most innocent. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Do we have another call? Okay. Calls are lining up here early this morning. Uh, Reverend Freehold trying to work on a snafu we've got kicking around this morning in the uh, in the adjacent studio. Nothing wrong with me. Yes, our two producers extraordinaire, co-host and producer, having some issues over the other. Do we have a call, Mike? Okay, let's go there. Who is this? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Matt from Florence. Hey, Matt. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Yeah, it's crazy. The, the things I've heard people say, I, I mean, I get on Facebook, and, and there's, a, there's a woman on there, and she's telling the world, she's like, I wish I'd killed my kids in the womb because I'm worried about them, uh, or, or it's, it's upsetting to her because, you know, her kids are probably going to get killed in the school shooting. She wished she was able to abort them, and I'm like, that's where you go? That's that's the, the I mean, you don't uh, look at school security or arming teachers or anything like that. Like you believe the best decision is to kill your kids and that's where you've landed on and you don't see the psychosis and a, and a thought process like that. And they just get vile and nasty about it and don't tell me what to do with my body and all that. And, and I try to, to you know. I, I'm not a, a strong pro-life person. You know, I have my opinions, too. Like, I believe uh, that it should be okay in certain situations, like the ones you've discussed, you know, the three things. But we have to be honest. That is not the reason why people get divorced. Those are the, the three least used reasons why people get abortions. They get abortions because it's convenient, and they don't want to have a kid. And and say, and you're sitting there trying to talk to people about this, and they're like, "Well, you're a man; you don't get to tell me what to do with my body." Uh, if, if I was part of the conception process, the hell I don't, you know. And and they people need to understand that. And, and then whenever you tell them, you're like, "Listen, it's not your body anymore." Whenever there's a little body living inside of your body, there's two bodies there, and uh, if they just don't get it. They're so vitriol and disgusting about this thing. I mean, the things I've seen on Facebook would, oh, man, I, I worry about where our country's gone. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, it, it takes an equal and opposite reaction. I mean, you, you've got you've to understand you're dealing with a group of people who are zealous. I mean, they're, they're zealots, and, and you, you we're talking about what, what gets to someone to make them take the position they do on abortion. I can respect the pro-choice argument. I really can. I mean, I disagree with it, but I can respect it. Um, you know, less than 1% are rape, less than 1% are incest, less than 1% are life of the mother. I mean, you know, to argue that, you know, um, that there are going to be women having abortions in alleyways with coat hangers because they were raped, because they were in an incestuous relationship, because their life is at risk. That's just untrue. I mean, that's just, that's fundamentally dishonest. That's just not the truth. The majority of Americans uh, the majority of abortions in America happen because a woman chooses to have that abortion, not because she was raped, not because she was in an incestuous rest, uh, relationship, not because her, her life is uh, in imminent danger. She chose to get pregnant and she chose to have an abortion. That's an abortion of convenience. 
the Democrats like that. Now, now you want me to go a little step further? And we've talked a lot about this over the years. Um, I think climate change and abortion to the political left are an admittance that there's a God in heaven and government's not it. The government is not top of the food chain. Human beings are not top of the food chain. There's a God in heaven that breathes life into um, something or other. And I'm talking about a, a zygote and an embryo and a fetus and all these other biological and medical terms. But at the center of that is a God in heaven who ordains life, who gives life at the beginning. There is no life conceived if there's not a God in heaven. And I think when you accept that the, the, the I, I use climate change as an example. Um, there's a God in heaven who controls this planet. He put this universe in action. It is so unbelievable, I can't fathom it. I mean, I, I can comprehend, you know, the, the changing of the seasons and the 11 or 8 degrees the planet leans and then it leans back and the sun days longer, days short. I mean, I've got some comprehension of that, but I don't think I begin to grapple. And, and I really don't try much, but I don't think I can begin to fathom the infinite wisdom of a God in heaven who puts the universe in action. But, but if, if you don't believe in God, then you think there is a comprehending that you can have. And, and I think abortion and, and climate change, to me, are the two examples of a godless party, a political party that refuses to, to, to say to themselves and, I guess, to the world, um, you know, there's a God in heaven and I ain't him. And there are things that he ordains and orchestrates that I don't fully understand, and I'm okay with that. So, so when we say life begins at conception, um, th that's kind of a spiritual belief that I have. I'm not biologically trained. I'm not medically trained. If I tell you that life begins at conception, I mean, I've read and I've tried to better understand it. But if I tell you that I believe life begins at conception, that is a spiritual argument I'm making. And, you know, that, that's an acceptance that there's something in charge of life that, that is far superior to my understanding of life just as the climate would be something similar to that. I just think the left and the three words I use is vile, disgusting, and godless. I'm not saying every Democrat, and I'm not saying every pro-choicer, because I think there are some pro-choicers out there. I've had a debate or two in my life about rape, incest, life of the mother, and let's have a genuine debate about that less than 1% of abortions. But make no mistake, the overwhelming 99% of abortions performed in America today are because a woman chooses to. They were not those three set aside in the the Hyde Amendment that that I see that's kind of interesting to me what happens to the Hyde Amendment now because states will be allowed to uh, methodically and incrementally create I mean, you know what is it eighteen states have trigger laws now that will basically make abortion illegal will some of those states go back and revisit rape incest life of the mother I don't know but because the Constitution does not specifically give a woman a right to have an abortion, the states will decide what the laws are and are not. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. You said you got a little emotional on Friday when you, you heard Glenn Beck was the one who you were listening to. Beck when, cut in on the guest and said the Dobbs decision just dropped. And I immediately thought of about eight or nine. I'm not, a, I wanna, I wanna, I'm not going to be disarrogant. I've never been a pro-life warrior. I mean, I, I, I was squishy. I mean, I, I was one of these, I, I can't quite figure it out. Um, in the last 15 years of my life, I have gradually got more and more and more and more pro-life. But I've studied it. I've tried to understand it. I've tried to better uh, be, be aware of when life begins and, and why do I believe life begins here. I've talked and I've read to things. But I, no, I, I mean, I, I got a little bit emotional 
because I know about eight or nine people who have dedicated the last 20 years of their political lives in moving the meter. And uh, I'll call her name Alexa Newman, a lady from Greenville who supported me when I ran for lieutenant governor, runs a crisis center. There's no telling how many hotel rooms she's paid for out of her pocket uh, of scared 18-year-olds who didn't know what to do. As she encouraged those women to not have an abortion, there is a path forward. I don't care what Planned Parenthood told you, that there's a life ahead of a life for you and this kid. And I just thought of her and I thought of the other seven or eight people I know that have dedicated so much of their personal capital to this single cause. And that was my emotion. That's why I got emotional. I know how sincere they are. I know how dedicated they are. I know how decent they were and the way they had that debate. And I just thought of how excited they had to be in that moment. Before I walked in the gym, I went to Alexa's um, Facebook page. I'm speechless. I mean, that, that's what her too. I'm speechless. And that made me a little bit emotional because those people were so gracious and kind to me when I ran for office. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD. Hey, Larry. Hey, Ken, I wanted to correct you on something. You said that the notion that life begins at conception was a spiritual notion. But it's actually a, a purely logical notion when you stop and say to yourself that there is nobody alive on the planet today that wasn't first conceived. It's just, I mean, it is where life begins because you cannot have life if you don't have a conception. Think about it. Mm-hmm. There's no other part. There's no other part of human development. Some people don't have an arm, but they're alive. So the only thing that every single one of us has in common who are alive on the planet today is that we were first conceived. So it's not just spiritual. It makes perfect sense. And the other thing I wanted to say, and, and, and you know, now I saw a lot of calls for, okay, uh, Christians specifically, now that you got your way, all these babies are your responsibility. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, no, they're not. No more than when, you know, when when the American Cancer Society raises money to save people with cancer, they don't have to go out then once, you know, if they cure cancer, we would say, okay, now you guys have to go fix diabetes. It doesn't work that way. Um, now, uh, the government can take all the money that they spent promoting slaughter, and let's, let's redirect those funds somewhere, okay? And hey... You, you wanted to fight for the right to an abortion? Take that energy and, and fight for the rights of these children. It's an amazing switch all of a sudden, but that's what they want to do. But, okay, go do it. Um, it's not incumbent on any one group of people to take care of someone else's child. Uh, but like your, your friend Alexis here just talking about, there are plenty of people who are moved to, to put their time and their talent and their resources into those things. We've always been here. It's not time to start. We've been doing it. Well, so, explain. You know, I, I hope that people will get that. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. There, there's a lot to talk about. Um, Friday was a big day for, for the life. I mean, for, for the cause of life. And, uh, and once again, I'm not professing to be a life warrior. I just know people who are. Back in a minute. One of the interesting parts of this debate will be seeing how many women health centers who said they hardly did any abortions will close for lack of business. I mean, I'm, I'm real interested in that. you got women health centers. Well, they're actually abortion clinics disguising themselves as women, women health centers. How many of these places will close all over the country because they don't have any business any longer? Now, corporate America 
what corporate America says, don't you worry. We will fly you, drive you, give you the time off necessary. I mean, Dick Sporting Goods, Disney, Disney. Uh, a couple of other companies came, you know, to the forefront Maybe yesterday. Amazon. Amazon, yeah. I mean, you know, well, you know why that's the case. I mean, that's the, the dirty. I mean, pregnancies cost business money. I mean, if a female employee gets pregnant, has to be out on uh, maternity leave or you know the complication, care the kids to the doctor and all. Um, but it's not that they are pro-life or pro-choice. They're pro-making money. Now, the way they make money is for you to be at work. And if you're pregnant and taking care of a child or out on maternity leave, guess what? You, they're, they're not as profitable a company. I love how some of these gullible Americans believe that, you know, corporate America is in it for the the um, the social reason, the spiritual reason. No, corporate America wants to make money. They need you at work. And when you're caring for a kid or having a kid, guess where you aren't? You aren't at work. Let's go to the phone. Steve in Florence. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, guys. Don't forget about Netflix and I think Time Warner, yep. Comcast, there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest thing is, is Biden going to do something about um, using federal land uh, for taxpayers to pay for these abortions? I don't want to pay for stuff that I'm not getting. I'm not getting it. I don't want to pay for it. Um, to these Democratic parties, they're only, they're only concerned about Planned Parenthood not funding them anymore. They make billions off of them. Um, and then you got Maxine Waters up there, you know, doing threats of violence again, or stoking the flames of violence, I should say. Um, wasn't abortions, uh, well, mainly Planned Parenthood, shoved in poor black neighborhoods anyway to try to get their numbers down? I thought that was all reason for that. I could be wrong, but um, I'll take that off the air. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. You know, one of the uh, one of the com- I don't know complications, complexities moving forward will be if you're a conservative Republican office holder, you've had kind of a scapegoat. You couldn't do anything because of Roe v. Wade. Um, you, you passed these laws ceremonially and symbolically, but you really couldn't do anything because Roe v. Wade was law of the land. All of a sudden, now you don't have that scapegoat. So, as a, a member of the General Assembly of South Carolina. Let's say somebody's, there's an abortion bill that's being debated. Um, where do you stand on rape, incest, life of the mother? Because there's still a political story here. I mean, they, you know, we heard some of the debate yesterday about the Democrats will be charged up. They'll turn out in record numbers to make sure that, you know, office holders in South Carolina aren't making women have abortions when they were raped by um, some former boyfriend. And, and you got to be careful with that. I mean, um, that, that's where it gets in the mainstream. Once again, the majority of people are doing watch. They're watching Seinfeld. They're, they're not paying close attention to politics. They probably know that something changed about Roe v. Wade, but they have no idea what Roe v. Wade was. But they, you know, abortions were legal. They believe now they're illegal. So all of a sudden, if a Democrat says those Republicans are going to make a woman have a, uh, a kid, whether they were um, raped, had an incestuous relationship, um, put the life of the mother at risk, so now all of a sudden, Republican office holders are going to have to, you know, kind of struggle with um, where is the gray? Where is the line of demarcation? Um, how far is too far? I'll ask you this. Um, if you're a Republican, are you comfortable with a with an elected official who says, I'm going to make a woman have a baby despite her being raped or being an incestuous relationship? Uh, I mean, if you're pro-life, 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 then pro-life means what? Um, 
opposed to abortions under any circumstance or situation. Um, where does Rhode Island land? Where does South Carolina land? Where does Massachusetts and Missouri land? Um, because now the, the states, you've empowered the states. The states have the, the legislative authority and the constitutional authority to, to, to make their laws as they see fit with no um, consideration given to the uh, Roe v. Wade. The, the, the decision that was always kind of your, I hate to say the word scapegoat, but in a way it kind of sort of was, now the onerous is on you. What, what what are you going to vote for? What are you going to work through a subcommittee? What is your delegation going to support? What, what do the Republicans in Texas believe? Uh, what do the Democrats in Utah believe? What, what do the... Uh, what does the independent in California think about, you know, um, when abortion should be legal? What What is the old Clinton um, safe, rare, and legal? I mean, that's kind of been a, a common sense, pragmatic perspective on abortion. But we've had Roe v. Wade as the controlling component. All of a sudden, we don't have that. So you got to get to work. I mean, you got to look at policy and say, what does it look like? Let me ask you this, Reb. I mean, you're, you're kind of a... Um, you're, you're you're the normal American voter. I mean, you're a little more tuned in because you have the uh, the pleasure and luxury of hanging around <laughs> the with privilege, me. The for, privilege, uh, the privilege of hanging around with me four hours <laughs> every morning. But um, right. what what would you say about a Republican who was going to make a woman have a baby, uh, whether she was raped or in an incestuous relationship? I I, I think they have to be careful. It, about you got to got to be really very do. careful about it, and and that's where Republicans have to exhibit. A little cor- yeah. uh, courage. But because I, then you do get into a mainstream voter that does get their attention. They're like, eh, that might be a little. Some doesn't smell right there. Some doesn't sound right there. Right. I mean, and, and if you're looking at it through a, through a political lens, because a lot of the talk I've seen online this weekend, I tried to avoid news as much as I could this weekend, I'll be honest with you. Um, but uh, a lot of the left-wing pro-abortion folks seem to think that this is their ticket to winning. In other words, this will... This will push back the the oncoming red wave because they say people are going to be, you know, this is the, I've had seen people say it's the, the death nail in the Republican Party because they've just gone too far this time. Well, I mean, the Republicans have to work the message. I mean, what, what is the message of the Republican Party? It's going to be different messages in different states. What flies in South Carolina probably doesn't fly in Florida. What flies in Florida probably doesn't fly in California. So, I mean, it, you know, the states have always been, uh, you know, if you're a federalist, you've always argued that the states are the laboratories, the necessary laboratories for good policy and good governance. So we'll see. Um, somebody texted me a second ago and asked, um, could a could a city or county refuse to issue a business license to an abortion clinic? Could they refuse to rent a building? In other words, if you've got to execute a lease, could the city or county government say that's an invalid lease because the, the lease or is going to be an abortion clinic? Uh, you, you, we've opened up kind of Pandora's box on what is, in other words, there's always been this this point of deferral. We're going to defer to Roe v. Wade. It's been settled law. How many times have you heard that? Thousands. How many times have I heard that? Thousands. Well, it's not settled law anymore. And, and we've turned this decision over to states. And now the states, the laboratories of a policy are going to have to come up with what works. And, and, you know, in a national campaign, you can see the Democrats now saying the Republicans want a woman who was raped to be forced to have that baby. I mean, they, if you're a mainstream American, if you're an independent American not watching um, Fox or CNN every night, watching Seinfeld every night, all of a sudden you're going to like, wow, man, something doesn't seem right there. I mean, something doesn't sound right. Um, a woman was in an incestuous relationship in Alabama 
but she was made to have the baby. She wanted to have an abortion, but they don't, they, they've outlawed abortions. She had to drive, you know, 2,000 miles to Utah or to, um, to Colorado to get an abortion. The, the general public's going to say, ah, something doesn't sound right there. So, yes, there's a reason to celebrate because we're going to have fewer abortions and we ride it wrong with the Constitution. But there's still a political reality that has to be addressed and, and grappled with and dealt with. Um, and that's going to be a struggle. I mean, that, that's going to be a, a big struggle. It's going to take a lot of messaging. It's going to take some courage. Imagine that. The Republican office holder have it exhibit a little courage to put their feet in the ground and, and honestly tell us where they stand on what they find acceptable or not. Um, but, but one of the overriding stories in this is, I said earlier, this has been referred to as the Roberts Court. This is the Trump Court. I mean, this is the, uh, the, the guy that they despise more than anybody is Donald Trump. Um, Trump and Clarence Thomas, I was talking, thinking about the irony of driving over this morning. I actually went back yesterday and listened to some of the, um, some of the committee hearings in 1990 or 91 of Joe Biden chairing the Senate Judiciary Committee when they confirmed, I think, 5248, if I'm not mistaken. And Thomas had some, excuse me, some Democrat support. Uh, Joe Biden didn't vote in support of uh, Clarence Thomas, but he did have about, I don't know, um, I went back and looked at the register of the roll. There was actually a Democrat from Oklahoma. You know, imagine that. I mean, that's not the case any longer, but uh, he had 11, if I'm not mistaken, Democrats support Clarence Thomas, and um, he gives the the Bruin decision last week on gun control, and, and then he gives the, uh, he has a, a, a pretty strong concurring opinion with the Alito majority opinion in the in the Dobbs case. So uh, talking about Trump, I, I've got this weird theory. I want to get your take on this. Um, this is probably the weirdest but best theory I've ever had on Wake Up Carolina. So you're ready the oh. week before the fourth. Okay. Um, we'll leave you with greatness. Um, <laughs> I went to the movie uh, Friday night. I went to see the Elvis Presley blockbuster Friday night. It's a it's a human tragedy. I mean, it, it's a celebration of a rock and roll icon. But more than anything, to me personally, it was a tragic story. Um, there were hundreds of people whose lives were fundamentally different if that guy didn't get on that stage and perform. I mean, it was Colonel Tom Parker. It was RCA Records. It was the International Hotel in Las Vegas. It was buddies he grew up with. It was band members. It was freeloaders, bums. Uh, it was everybody you could imagine. But everybody in that universe, from the people riding Harley Davidsons to the ones working in the, uh, in the Ivory Tower at RCA Records, needed that guy on that stage or their lives were fundamentally different. I'm not talking about they go from driving a Rolls to driving a Bentley or from driving a Bentley to driving a Mercedes. I'm not talking. They go from driving a Rolls to walking. <laughs> you know, they, they go from um, living in a 5,000 square foot house to being homeless. I mean, they, their entire lives and existence and success or failure were predicated on. And Colonel Parker actually says it during the movie. Um, the only thing I'm worried about is getting that boy on that stage every night, you know, night after night after night. And they killed him. I mean, obviously, there's some personal responsibility. I mean, you know, Elvis took the pills, and Elvis did the drugs, and Elvis lived the way he did live. But, but you know, and the family's kind of, um, they've said there, there's a certain degree. Of, now, once again, I like to say Superman don't fly, and I understand creative liberties. I understand Hollywood does what Hollywood does. But there, I mean, Colonel Parker got sued by the Presley estate and was found guilty for basically abuse. 
you know, just just taking a guy and running him in the ground. It would be your big Braves fan. Uh, I'm a big Braves fan. Uh, it would be like sending Greg Maddox out every day to pitch. You know, um, you're the best pitcher we got, but, but, but I pitched yesterday. Yeah, but you're going to pitch today. We'll, we'll talk about tomorrow when it gets here. Um, and Elvis's life was so out of control, so unbelievably out of control. But the reason it was out of control is everybody needed him on that stage or their lives were fundamentally different. What is the inverse Elvis theory? Trump. Trump is the okay. inverse Elvis theory. Everybody's world around Elvis was fundamentally different if he's not there. Everybody in Trump's world is fundamentally different if he is there. <laughs> we've got to get, we, we've got to banish oh, Trump man. from the planet Earth. We've got to get him out of Washington on the first thing smoking <laughs> because we built this life around business being conducted the way we need it to be conducted. And as long as this guy's here, very, just the opposite of Elvis. If Elvis, if Elvis, excuse my French, ain't there, their, their lives are fundamentally different. If Trump is there, their lives are fundamentally different. So when I left the theater, my busy head syndrome kicks in, and I'm thinking about uh, the human tragedy of, of Elvis and how many people. I mean, the guy was good-hearted. He was kind and decent. Um, obviously generous and um, stupid generous <laughs> just stupid generous in what he did for people who didn't deserve uh, those things and everybody took advantage I say everybody the majority of people in his life took advantage of his talent um, and, and I think subconsciously Rev he knew it you know I think he looked around at times and said man if I don't get on that stage there's no telling where these people end up and, and he'd go on that stage and he'd you know he'd take a handful of pills and another handful of pills and another handful of pills and uh, he'd buy three more Cadillacs and, you know, he'd buy two more houses and he'd send somebody on a trip around the world. But but I think, I mean, he, he was not a rocket scientist, but he wasn't a dummy. I mean, he's not a moron. But but I think um, I think he looked around and said, as long as I'm working, everybody's taken care of. Well, we'll take Trump. As long as Trump's there, everybody's threatened. Everybody's concerned. We've got to get rid of this guy. So yeah, there's kind of an inverse Elvis theory that I came up with. They've got to have Elvis there to exist. They can't have Trump there and exist. They've got to get rid of Trump or their entire world. Their entire world is fundamentally different. And as my son said, and I'll give him credit for this, Daddy, when he put his hand on that Bible in 2016, there were about six or 700 people in Washington that said, never again. You'll never put your hand on that Bible again, and we'll do whatever we must to make sure it doesn't happen again. Now, to Elvis, and we'll conclude with this, um, I'm convinced he was a natural man with a supernatural talent. I mean, there, there was something about when he <laughs> when he got that scared the hell out of everybody back in the 50s. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like law enforcement were threatening to arrest him, and you know what I mean, because he had all these gyrations that were a little bit odd and different from um the way in other words when hank snow comes on a stage with a rhinestone jacket and elvis follows him there, there's something odd there line, line of the movie and i don't you know i'm not gonna tell you to go go, go see the movie it's, it's very interesting especially if you're of our generation um but there's one colonel parker was a carnival barker i mean he grew up in the carnivals and made some money in the carnivals and he said um that he made money when you smiled and weren't sure you were proud of what you were smiling at. 
weren't sure you felt good hmm. about what you were smiling at. In other words, some of the freak shows and the carnivals, you know, the bearded lady mm-hmm. and uh, all these other sorts of things. And he said he went to a, one of these Louisiana hayrides and Elvis was just beginning and he saw Elvis perform and he saw the girls look like, uh, look in a way that they, 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 they weren't sure they were supposed to be proud of the way they felt when he was on stage. And he said, I had to sign that boy. And, uh, and he did. And the rest is history. It's just, but, but once again, it's not, it, it is a show about or a movie about the relationship between Colonel Parker and Elvis. But to me, it's, 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 it's just elemental. I mean, he was so, ah, I don't want to say ahead of his time. That's clicheic. He was so essential to, to all those people and their lives would have been, uh, <laughs> I mean, it would have been fun. Rev, there is no telling how many people lived out of his paycheck. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a big paycheck. But he spent every red cent, and there is no <laughs> telling how many people. The only thing I can equate it to is Don King and Mike Tyson. You know, Don King said, I, as long as that boy's fighting, I'm making money. When he's not fighting, I'm not making money. Colonel Parker said, and it wasn't just Colonel Parker. I mean, it was friends and family members and executives at the at the, uh, the record company and producers at the hotel. I mean, they, they all just took advantage of of the supernatural talent he had, and they just had to have him on stage or their lives were fundamentally different. And if Trump stays on stage, the the, the elite establishment, their lives are fundamentally who, different. Who of our generation doesn't remember where they were and what they were doing when they heard that Elvis had died? That's true. That's true. 42 years old. Wow. 42. Take a break. Back in just a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. I haven't made it to the movies lately, so no, I have not seen Top Gun yet. I haven't seen the Elvis movie, but one thing I did like that I saw was I drove by movie theater parking lots um, over the weekend a couple of times, and every time I did, it looked like the parking lots, there, there wasn't an empty spot. So what do you make of that? Well, first I mean, of all, it was such a such a great change from the last couple of years when those lots actually had weeds growing in them when things were shut down. So mm-hmm. that's one reason I... Still got I, weeds. <laughs> do a better job at the parking lot, but continue. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Sure. Uh, tumbleweeds blowing across the parking lots, if you will. But And, and that, you know, that, of course, was sad. So this was... This I'm really happy to see. But obviously, we have some some movies that people are interested in again, finally. So we've got three movies out today that, that would be the uh, the headliners, right? you got Lightyear, Lesbian Lightyear, and then you've got... Um, <laughs> what, am I wrong? I, well, I, I think Is that, there not a computer-generated animated figure who identifies as a female in somewhat of a relationship with another computer-generated animated figure that is no, a female. Your statement is correct. I just don't know how many parking places are taken up by people watching that movie. But that's where I'm headed. So it, are people going to see Lesbian Lightyear? Or no. Are they going to see Top Gun and, and Elvis? Um, what embodies Americana more than Top Gun? You know, fighter pilots and leather jackets and motorcycles and, um, you know, kind of red, white, and blue and Elvis. Right. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting. Is Hollywood learning a lesson here? Because let me tell you what Hollywood likes more than anything. Well, maybe not. Maybe they <laughs> like, you know, being woke and being political, politically correct more than they do money. Um, there was a good crowd there. Uh, I've gone to see Top Gun and Elvis. Um, it's kind of interesting. I'll go a year. Nothing interests me at all. You know, I won't see a movie and it's like, I don't want to see it. I don't care about well, seeing that. The example now, now I will say about. this. Um, my wife and I went, we're, we're sitting there waiting. We've already spent $640, I think on tickets <laughs> and popcorn and two drinks, but it is Pepsi products. Congratulations, to right. Pepsi. Um, Regal 
Theater or Regal Cinemas converted from the other guy to Pepsi Cola. I actually nice. reached out to Les Ward, a good friend at Pepsi, and said congratulations uh, on, uh, we don't call the other company, it's just the other guy that they compete with. Um, but, but no, we, we're sitting down and I look around, and there's a big crowd there. I mean, it's it's a, um, it's a I mean, it's an older crowd because uh, they find Elvis to be very relatable. And you said before the next or for the last break, um, how many of you remember where you were when Elvis died? Um, my mother-in-law went to church with us yesterday, and she was talking about. I remember exactly. I'm carrying, you know, her son and a friend to um, to football practice. My wife was in the car, and she pulled over and got upset for a second or two. I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting. That would have been the glory days of radio. Is that fair to say? I mean, if you got news and you weren't in front of your television, um, it would have been the radio that lets you know. I'll bet you 90% of the people in this country that found out Elvis died found out via the radio. I'm probably at work or traveling or, you know, wherever, got in the car to go home, and there's a a report on the radio about, you know, Elvis. The point I'm trying to make, he was a, I mean, no, he was a supernatural talent. I mean, and I mean that really. I mean, I, I'm not talking about he had an extreme talent. No, this this cat had some sort of supernatural talent about him. Um, that they they really elaborated on the the effect and impact that some of the um some of the black blues singers, you know, and club singers had on him. Um, but it was a very chaotic time. You know, it was um a, a lot of racial tension. Uh, the the, the late fifties, early the Beatles come over you know, and the stones and uh, kind of the British invasion and Elvis's, it's just a lot of things kicking in there. But I came up with this inverse Elvis theory because I like Elvis and I like Trump. (laughs) And I think the people that lived off Elvis couldn't live without him. The people that live off Washington can't live with Trump there. They're just so nervous and afraid and, uh, and intimidated by what Trump could do as long as he's in the building. There's another play, Elvis's love left the building, um, they had to have Trump leaving the building or or their lives are going to be fundamentally different. So, so I do believe the inverse Elvis theory applies to um, Donald Trump. 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, I went back and read uh, a good bit Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. I did watch the Braves play a little bit Saturday night, and I didn't watch the Braves play much yesterday. Uh, the race started. Who had an idea to start a race in the South at five o'clock in the summer on an afternoon. I know. I mean, it rains every day in the South at five o'clock. Why do you start a race? Uh, but that's NBC hard at work on our behalf. Um, and if NBC keeps Chuck Todd hired, they'll probably start races at midnight. But anyway, um, Chase Elliott won the race, but it was it was almost this morning <laughs> when it right. was over. And because they moved of, it off NBC and played it on USA yeah, Network. Yeah, lightning or delays and rain delays, and because they had to get America's Got Talent on, you couldn't. You know, keep that off well, for I mean, a race. It's, you know, it's it's the hayseed, the hillbillies, and the cowboys <laughs> uh, are the rednecks. There ain't so many of them as there are wanting to watch America's Got Talent. But anyway, I read some of Alito's um, opinion, and it, it's very articulate. It's very well informed, um, and and he goes back and says uh, he basically makes an accusation, and this would be the accusation the majority of us have made that Roe um, what was based on flimsy legal rationale I mean, those are his words not mine the constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision abortion is not a fundamental constitutional right because such a right has no basis 
in the Constitution's text or in our nation's history. So here's where I go. Uh, we, we You go to Facebook, and you find this person to be somewhat literate. I mean, you, you do. You, you respect their intellect. You've read things they posted before. You know they don't disagree. Excuse me. They don't agree with you. They don't see the world in a conservative fashion as I do. So, um, But I like reading posts of people who disagree with the way I see the world because I need to be aware of why they think what they think and why they believe as they do. But the arguments they made were, as Alito said, unbelievably flimsy. I saw a, a lot of arguments made that, you know, these conservatives, you can't tell them anything. They don't want the state to decide this, but they do want the state to decide that. Um, they're, they're no more grounded the Constitution than we are because they're inconsistent. Uh, they come from all over the place. They, the, in the name of political, political expediency, you know, they'll say whatever they need to say. Well, I mean, stop for a second, and, and let's, let's address this. What is the difference in abortion and, and owning a gun? I mean, it's fundamental. I mean, it's easy. It, it's right before your very eyes if you want to look there. The Constitution explicitly guarantees you and me the right to keep and bear arms. Gun ownership is a constitutional right. Specifically, um, specifically included in our um, our founding document, the abortion is not. And, and Madison makes it clear in the Federalist Papers that where the Constitution does not address that obligation and responsibility goes to the states. So th- it's it's so easy to understand why it's apples and oranges. It's not one of the same. It's um, it's completely separate and different of one another. And I found it odd. How many people that I consider to be semi-politically literate kind of held on to that basic argument? Uh, the, the conservatives are hypocritical because they want the state. Remember the Bruin decision that basically said the states can't do this. I mean, the state, New York can't tell someone the only reason you can have a gun is if you feel threatened or endangered. I mean, the states can't do, you know, I mean, and the argument the states can, you know, regulate and legislate abortion. Because abortion is not a constitutional right. If, if you want abortion to be a constitutional right and you're a leftist, then amend the Constitution. Ask the American people if, if they'll go for a convention of the states and let's amend the Constitution, just like we want to do a balanced budget amendment or we want to do some kind of abolishment of the Fed, whatever the conservatives have as their you know priorities, their, their wish list, bucket term list. Limits. Yeah, term limits. There you go. And if you think abortion is that essential to the American fabric, then amend the Constitution and include it. But for these people who argue, and a moron's a moron. I don't expect any better out of a moron. And Twitter's full of morons and Facebook's full of morons. But some of these people understand politics better than that. And you would expect them to offer up a more rational response than they did by, instead of calling conservatives hypocrites for saying, well, they want the state to do this, but they, no, we want the Constitution to be obeyed. We want the founding document of our country to, to be understood, and and it, it's to it's to put and cut put government and keep the federal government in its place, in its lane, um, in its sandbox. Let's go to the phone. Here's Roger and Coward. Hello, Roger. Good morning, fellas. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, all of this goes back to the idea that we have lost any kind of art of compromise in the country at all. I think it's kind of kind of ironic that, uh, you know, (laughs) the folks that are in favor of abortion on demand right on up until uh, birth, 
and those that on the other side that don't believe in any abortions <clears throat> don't even believe in the abortion pill. And personally, personally, I'm against abortion uh, in any circumstance because it's taking a life. But to me, that's left up to the families and the churches to preach and convince people of that. I'm not an absolutist on it. That you know, the government can't control everything. But I think it's kind of funny that the folks that are in favor of abortion right on up until birth brought the suit that eventually ended in the Supreme Court uh, because of a Mississippi law that I believe outlaws abortion after 15 weeks. Well, instead of a compromise there, what they got was a total reversal of Roe Wade. So they got the kind of what they deserved. I mean, had they not objected to a limit of 15 weeks, it would never, it would never have gotten there. And it's a whole, like this, on a whole litany of issues. We don't have any compromise anymore in this country. We're going to line up along the right and left field lines, and we're not going to budge. And and so we just line up there and shout at one another. Thank you, Roger. I mean, well, and a lot of people believe, and that's why I've always argued that you're not going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Uh, look at this issue. Where's the compromise? And and some would argue you can't compromise on life. You can't compromise on some of these issues. They're you know they're, they're too important. And you know I'll die on this hill or I'll die on that hill. Um, but but that's the point I've tried to make for three or four or five years. And some of you look at me like I've got two heads or or nine eyes. I mean nine eyes when I say you know that I mean we we're getting to a point now that that there is no common ground. I mean what common ground do you have with Nancy Pelosi? What common ground do you have with Bernie Sanders? What common ground do you have with Joe Biden? I mean, you live in a nation where they have enormous influence on the world you live in. I mean, whether you like Pelosi or not, she's big of the House. I mean, she introduces bills. She controls the uh, the procedures of the House of Representatives. And whatever law passes, I mean, you, you deal with, you live with. And she's not interested in compromise. Do you think she would pay South Carolina a visit and sit down with us at a round table and say, hey, I've got these ideas, and I listen to a lot of people from San Francisco, but I probably do need to get out uh, in, in, the, in the flyover country and some of the hinterlands and, and hear what you folks have to say. I mean, how many times has <laughs> Pelosi made her way? I mean, it, government's better when that's the case. There is no doubt. And I think America breaks down fundamentally if we get to a place where there is no compromise. Now, here's an interesting point. Whose fault is it? I mean, Roger was talking about guarding the right field foul pole, guarding the, the left, it's actually a fair pole, because if it hits the pole, it's fair, right? So they're not foul poles. Um, so, so, you know, <laughs> am I guarding the right field fair pole? And, and you know, if you believe that abortion, let, let's do this. I, I'll ask our listeners. You do it better than I can do it. What is a compromise on abortion? There you go. What, what is a compromise on abortion? You know what I think a compromise is? Do what, do what the Constitution says. I mean, that may not be a compromise, but it's what I'm legally bound to. I don't have a right to make you do something or to strongly suggest. I mean, the, the states have the authority when not specifically mentioned the Constitution. That's where the, the power is delegated to. And w whether that's compromise, whether that's right field foul pole or left field fair pole, it doesn't matter. The Constitution is to be adhered to. And if it's not to be adhered to, guess what? It's to be amended. I mean, that, to me, that is the compromise. What does the Constitution say? How do we situate the debate and argument within the bounds and parameters and guardrails that our founders put in place via the Constitution? Um, you know, my feelings say this. 
Your emotions say that. I'm mad about this. I'm happy about that. Who gives a rip? I mean, really, who gives a rip how you feel about this? The Constitution says X, Y, and Z. Let's either follow the Constitution or when we abolish the Fed, let's abolish our founding document. Let's just enough of us say, I don't like it. I don't like the restrictions. I don't like to be bound to it. I want to tear it up, throw it in the trash. And if those guys were alive today, surely they'd do something fundamentally um, different. The theory and notion of self-government restraining itself was very unique in that period of time, but it's proven to be pretty special. I mean, it really and truly has over, over the years. But, but I think when you look at the gun control debate and you look at the abortion debate, what does the Constitution say? And right now, the left doesn't like it because we've got a conservative court. Is the court conservative because they have conservative biases? Or is the court conservative because the Constitution, by its nature, is a fairly conservative document? One of the lines of demarcation, we've got to take a break here. One of the lines of demarcation is this. Liberals want big government to be in control of more and more of our lives. Very few liberals disagree with that. They believe government is well-equipped to, to basically be the socioeconomic um, liberator, to be the, um, uh, the level, the playing field of all of our human activities. Government can do that better than anybody. Conservatives don't buy that. The, the Constitution restricts the power of a central government. So in today's political argument, the Constitution is a conservative document because conservatives want to restrict and restrain the power of the federal government. Liberals simply don't. So how do you compromise with someone when you have a constitution in place that says, you folks are wrong? You want to expand government. You want government more invasive, more intrusive, more abusive, more punitive, more responsible for whatever it is we do in every walk of our life. And conservatives say, we don't want that. We want the constitution to be followed. I think liberals are in the corner here because the constitution is not agreement or not in agreement with their fundamental premise. Take a break. Back in a minute. Something tells me, I mean, I don't think Clarence Thomas is the kind of man to gloat, but something tells me that he's got to go home at night saying, y'all remember me? (laughs) You know, to Joe Biden. Biden's presidency, because Biden, once again, chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee when, um, when Thomas got nominated and confirmed as Supreme Court Justice by George, I'd been H.W. Bush, if I'm not mistaken. It's either 90 or 91. Um... And, and Biden said he believed Anita Hill then voted against Clarence Thomas um, and has said subsequently and over and over and over again that he believes and trusts in what Anita Hill had to say. He actually made it part of his 2020 campaign. And the, uh, the Me Too movement became a big part of liberal lore. And, um, and I just think Thomas said in the Bruin decision, uh, which he wrote the majority opinion in the New York City uh, gun case and a consenting opinion, concurring opinion in the... Uh, in the Dobbs case, I, I just got to believe that Clarence Thomas is somewhere going, yep, remember me? I'm not done yet. Let's go to the phone. Here's Tony in Calhoun County listening to WTQS. Hey, Tony. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, I see the decision a little differently than the media is talking about it. To me, the, the federal government is just saying, hey, it's none of our business. We don't have any authority to, to rule, have anything to do whatsoever about abortion. And it belongs, the decision or regulation, if there is to be any, belongs somewhere else. The Tenth Amendment says that, you know, power is not given to them, belong to the states or the people, not just the states. So that's not the Supreme Court saying that 
the state is the rightful place to make that decision, but it just basically doesn't belong here in the federal government. So I have a question. If I go to, if I call the sheriff's department, I say, hey, sheriff, I was robbed. Well, when were you robbed? 15 weeks ago. So then are they going to fill out a police report that I was robbed 15 weeks ago? So what is a woman, if the state decides that rape, incest, life of the mother are allowable exceptions, then I wonder what's going to happen to the statistics when all of a sudden there's a sharp rise in reported rapes that go unprosecuted. Um, I mean, what's to stop a woman from saying that, oh, I was raped 15 weeks ago. Well, who raped you? Well, uh, uh, or just naming somebody out of the blue. Uh, you know, just so she could get her abortion. And if that's the case, then abortion is not really going to change because they can just choose to say I was raped, you know, without any proof, without any adjudication, without anybody being convicted. Uh, so I, I, there's that. That's an interesting point, Tony. I actually had a uh, chance over the weekend to discuss with a lawmaker here in South Carolina that reality. Uh, that there is con- some concern. Uh, roughly 1% of all abortions are rape, incest, life of the mother. Um, Gallup's had it as high as 1.5%. Um, I've seen it as low as three-quarters of 1%, but some of the neighborhood of 1%. But as Tony said, um, a woman gets pregnant, doesn't want to have the kid, uh, but can't have a, an abortion of convenience, so she accuses someone of rape. Uh, she accuses someone of incest. Um, she gets a doctor to sign off on you know, she can't go through with the pregnancy because she has this medical complication. I mean, people get creative. I mean, they always have, they always will. Um, what happens to the percentage of abortions um, that include rape? Let's use rape as an example. Let's say one half of 1% all abortions in America are because the woman was raped. Um, does that number turn into 10%, 15, 20, 25%? Um, there's going to have to be some legislation that takes care of that. What is the punishment to a woman? who gets pregnant, accuses someone of rape, just makes it up um, in the name of having an abortion of convenience. It's a new world out there. I mean, once you don't have um, the, uh, the the federal law Roe v. Wade, we never should have had it. It's not good legislation. It's not. I don't care if you're pro-choice or pro-life. I mean, the debate has always been, uh, the, the debate has always should have been had at the state level, but, but the federal government, made a mistake. I mean, the Supreme Court righted a wrong. And once again, the Supreme Court did not speak specifically to abortion. The Supreme Court said we've never had the right to legislate this. I mean, it, it's, it's ill-founded. It was, it is, it always has been. And it's time we correct that wrong or right that wrong, correct that mistake. Take a break. Back in just a minute. 843 is our number. Someone called during the break. Let's go there. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So, Ken, my my father and my maternal grandmother uh, were both adopted after being born to unwed mothers, um, and this was all prior to Roe v. Wade. So, I'm alive. My my brothers are alive. My my cousins are alive, and all of our children are alive uh, because abortion was illegal, and these two women um, were forced to have a birth. Um, so many of us, Ken, are here because abortion was illegal at some point in history. So, frankly, it would be a little elitist for many of us um, to to say that, yeah, we had a right to life, but other folks don't. Um, can I, let's go further, too. Let, let, let's take the ball and run with it. Um, Republicans need to take the bull by the horns and tell the libertarian wing of the party to sit down for a while. Um, 
and, and push an overtly pro-family agenda, um, school choice, tax cuts and tax credits. I mean, let, you know, we're, the, we're becoming the party of the working class. Well, let's be a party of the working class. Um, let's show, um, I mean, let, let's do big things, Ken. I mean, we, we talk about how the Democrats do big things. Let's do big things. Um, but, but lastly, can I change the subject a little bit? Have you followed any of this Project Veritas releasing the uh, call with the House rep from Berkeley County? I have. Well, that, um, it'd be interesting to hear your take on that at some point during the show. Yeah, Thank we're going. I'm, I'm going to dig a little deeper to that. I just figured today the balance of the show would be um, the majority of conversation would be about one of the monumental moments in in American history, the the biggest decision in my lifetime, and as a from one fellow fetus to another, I'm speaking to Jim. Um, I concur that uh, we're using legal language here today. I concur that this should be a pro-family agenda and the libertarian wing of the of the party. I mean, obviously, it has a home here. I mean, you know, we all. I mean, if you're conservative, you dabble in libertarianism. I mean, you can't really be a conservative without dabbling in libertarianism from time to time. But I do believe, as J.D. Vance said, what do we do when we get the levers of government? I mean, what do we do when we have control? Uh, is Are we still going to, as we've historically done, just try and stop liberal creep? I mean, Victor David Hansen had a very interesting article in American Greatness over the weekend. Um, he would be somewhat of a conservative intellect, um, but but he's talked a lot about some of the, uh, some of the trend lines of America, and, and he's talking about it in the collective, in the aggregate. He's not saying that this specifically or that specifically the one thing he talks a lot about is this um this this belief in fate in other words we believe that we're eternal we believe we're perpetual we believe uh it's it's, it's american arrogance is what it is we we believe we're so exceptional that the rules of failure that apply to all these other superpowers and dynasties and and great economies don't apply and victor david hansen reminds us over and over and over again that we we don't have this moral and intellectual superiority over many civilizations that came before us. Um, we've had a, a really good run, uh, but we got to be careful. And I think the arrogance of the left, the left really believes this, that it doesn't matter what we do, uh, America will sustain. And, and you know, maybe I'm kind of pessimistic and negative, but I just don't buy that. I mean, I think America can fall apart. And, and, and one of the... Um, I don't know, Rev. One of the uh, one of the elements that always concerned me was was the justice of God in heaven, and when you know when I looked at us spending money we didn't have, and I looked at us funding programs that encouraged laziness and and dependency, and and you know I don't know just just a um I, th- I think the Bible speaks about you know idle hands or a devil's workshop, and I'm being a bit biblical here for a second, but but I always felt that that our our major or my major concern with America was to get so far out of God's will. And, you know, Democrat, Republican, uh, you know, you see the world this way, I see the world that way. But 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 God's, I mean, in the Bible, and here I go being preachy a bit, but the Bible clearly says, here's the guidelines for living. And I think nearly everything we've done insults the Bible. I mean, it, it really does. If, if the Bible is the great um, financial planner model, the, the great, you know, marriage counseling book, it's the great... Um, everything you encounter in life there's an answer there within the bible um old and new testament i think you know you that's a little bit uh, you got to be careful saying that in the public square 
because you can be one of those, um, here I go with their coach, ready? One of these Jesus freaks, you know, and uh, here he goes thinking that we're going to run, you know, the country like a church or like some religious organization. But Victor David Hansen basically says that this, um, this, this moral incompetence, my word's not his, this moral incompetence leads to enormous failure. And I think we got it right Friday. I mean, it encouraged me, um, not because I'm pro-life, but because I think that was a decision that honored the blessings God has allowed us to have as Americans. And and I don't think that's a, I mean, I don't think that's a spooky religious debate. I mean, I, I don't think that's all about, you know, Christianity and, uh, you know, who's a Christian, who's not a Christian, who believes that Jesus was the son of God and and who does not. Um, but But I think God ordains things and I think God allows things and i think you know to believe that god was going to continue to allow us to be a blessed nation when we killed millions and millions and millions of babies in the name of convenience um you know it would be very interesting if god were in the studio and god would give me a question today you know what i'd ask him god what about rape incest life of the mother i mean i don't understand it your wisdom is infinite you're omnipresent. You're you're infinite. I mean, you, you know, you have capacities that I can't even imagine. Um, help me help them work through rape, incest, life of the mother, because I do think you can't you can't escape the humanistic element in that. I mean, we're we're, we're sane people. We're rational people by and large. Um, reasonably explain to me why someone who is raped should be forced to have that baby. I'm not talking about forget, you know, supernatural and God and he's in charge of it. But just from, from a human perspective, I want somebody to break down. And explain. I'm not saying I disagree with it. I mean, I think that I think that is the legitimate debate. The 99% of convenient abortions should have been outlawed a long time ago. And we should be ashamed that we ever allowed as many babies to be killed in the name of convenience. I mean, we've hid behind this this Hyde Amendment debate, rape, incest, life of the mother, the overwhelming majority of abortions aren't affected by that legislation. So if we had legislation that allowed for rape, incest, life of the mother, we'd still have very, very few abortions. Now, now once again, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. The life derived or the life created, spawned, conceived during an incestuous relationship is no less life. During a rape is no less life. But I do think, Rev, we have an obligation to, to kind of balance this this spiritual belief what many of us have with this humanistic reality that we must live in. I mean, I think there's a coexistence there, and it's difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's true. complicated. You scratch your head, I scratch mine. Uh, you know, I don't know where to turn at times when I think about these things in a in a spiritual slash humanistic way. But that's not that Roe v. Wade allowed um, for abortions to be convenient. And along comes Planned Parenthood. You know, the, the question I asked again this morning, I, I want to I know the answer to this. Of all the, the women health centers who said so little of their business is abortion, how many of those centers will still exist a year from now? I mean, if so little of their business is abortion, if, if the majority of their business is health-centered, you know, uh, helping women live healthier lives, I mean, we hear that a lot. You know, this center here in New York City is simply here to help women live healthier lives. Um, well, if it's not there to have abortions, um, then this business model should be fine. Right, Rep? I mean, we shouldn't see a big um, shutdown of those businesses. If or, they were telling the well, truth. I mean, of course they aren't. 
I mean, they're in the business of aborting babies. They're in the business of killing babies. There's a business in America today that exists that allows us to kill babies. And I think we made a step in the right direction Friday, but we didn't change the law on abortion. We simply passed that responsibility along to the states where it should have been all this time. The federal government does not have the authority, never had the authority to, 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 to legislate what the rules and laws and regulations and stipulations should be on a woman's right to have an abortion. Now that, but, but once again, th- there could be more abortions tomorrow, or excuse me, next year than there is this year. I don't think there will. I mean, I think abortions will, will go down. I think we'll have fewer abortions, and that's a good thing. I hope we have fewer abortions the next year. That's a good thing. But, but the, argument, the argument has to center, in my humble opinion, rape, incest, life of the mother. Where does the country feel? Where is our moral compass at on rape, incest, life of the mother, accepting the reality that that birth or that conception is no less a conception than consensual sex? I, I, I don't think you can argue that. I mean, it's different. There's no doubt about it. It's different. It's unbelievably unfortunate. There's a crime involved here, whether it's incest, rape. Um, but how do we morally process rape, incest, life of the mother? To me, that's the fundamental question as states begin to grapple with what to do or not. Let's go to the phone. Here's Bert in Florence. Hello, Bert. You knew I had to call in eventually. Uh, I got a question for the God of Abraham. Uh, why does he want to kill babies in, uh, you know, First Samuel, Psalms, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers? He kills babies over and over. So I'm good with this decision. I'm really good with handing it back to the states. That's where it should have been all along. It should have never been a federal thing. But when you act like God is against abortion, it really makes me wonder how many people have actually read the Bible because God is the biggest killer of babies in history if you take the Bible seriously. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone else on the phone? Uh, they're still getting Okay. Getting We're getting some information from this next caller. Um, Bert has a fundamentally different interpretation of God's Word than I do. Um, love Bert, like Bert to call Bert has a fundamentally different interpretation of the Bible than I. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Lisa in Florence. Hi, Lisa. Hey, how are you? Hey, Lisa. How are you? Good. Okay, my thing on abortion and what when Ken was talking about um, rape, uh, if you're a non-believer and you're raped and you choose to have an abortion, I believe God looks at this the person, not the not their sin. And then if you're a believer, you have to determine what you feel, you know, according to your beliefs. Mine is, if I'm a believer, um, I'm going to want to break generational curses or generational spiritual heredity. We have physical heredity, and we also have spiritual heredity. So that will break that line of rape in that family of the rapist if that child is born as a believer and is raised as a believer from my take you know when uh, as to Bert's comment about the Old Testament you know they would wipe out generations of of um, 
people who were opposed to God to break that line. So, so that's just my take on it. I think, you know, it's up to the individual and God forgives. And I guess as, as far as rape goes. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate that. You know, the majority debate in America today is centered around energy and taxes and, and a lot of these others. And look, I mean, we need a good energy plan. Uh, you know, are we going to drive battery powered cars or fossil fuel powered cars? Or are we going to pay 36% of our income or 25% of our income? Um, are we going to build a rail system in California? We're going to upgrade air. I mean, all of these things come into the, uh, I don't know, the, the devil's brew of American politics. But I think Friday was a moment that <sighs> reminded us morality matters and, and our moral compass, our moral standings. I'm not being judgmental, guys. Please understand, I respect those that disagree with me. I disagree with you passionately, but, but I respect those that believe a woman has a right to choose under any circumstance or situation. I, I, just, I, I don't think God's bothered by whether or not we drive battery-powered cars or fossil fuels. I don't think he's that concerned about whatever it is we do down here, except with life. I mean, I think life is different. I think life is elemental to who we are. What I think when, when, you, when you stand for life, when you believe that, as Larry said earlier, you know, um, we're, we all have one thing in common. We were conceived. And as I said a second ago, as a fellow fetus, I'm glad I was allowed for conception to advance to development, that advance to uh, a pregnancy and a birth and, and, and my eventual life. I mean, I am so thankful. It's kind of interesting to me how people living and breathing and doing things are the ones saying the person not born doesn't deserve to live and breathe and do the very same things. And I, and I guess when I've tried to hash out, you know, why abortion has become a very important issue to me, um, I don't think, I mean, I, yeah, there, there's some morality in fossil fuels, there's some morality in taxes, but but I just don't know that God gets all worked up about how many people drive Teslas or, or whether we pay 36 or 38% on marginal or effective um, statutory tax. I just don't know that God gets so bothered by that. But but I do believe that, that God is just and God is perfect and God is all-powerful. And, and we've been on the wrong side of abortion. I think there's only... Well, there's 198 countries in the world, only 12 allow for abortions, and we are probably one of the two or three most liberal countries in America, excuse me, in the world in relation to abortion. Um, with freedom comes responsibility. And, and I think we've been incredibly irresponsible in allowing as many babies to be killed as we have. And, and once again, Rev, you talk about public polling. Well, public polling says that people supported Roe v. Wade. Well, when explained a certain way, I mean, you know, should a woman be allowed to have an abortion under any circumstance? What, what is any circumstance? Okay, let's go there. Um, if a woman is raped, should, should she be allowed to have an abortion? I think a lot of reasonable Americans would say that's terrible and unfortunate to steal the taking of human life, but I get it. I mean, I understand it. You know, yeah, I would probably, but, but no, we, we've got liberals in government and we've got organizations that, that are lobbying the government that want a woman to be allowed to have an abortion up until the, the time the baby's born. I mean, that's evil, guys. That's, that's not just disgusting and vile. I mean, that's godless and evil. I mean, th there's a lot of positions Democrats take I disagree with. You know, the, the transitioning from fossil fuels to, to a more efficient way to produce renewable energies. I mean, you know, I, I, that's a legitimate. I think you've lost your mind to believe we can do it in 10 years. 
But when you start saying that a woman should be allowed to have an abortion up until the time of delivery, I mean, that, that's a different animal. I mean, that, that's something fundamentally, fundamentally different than any other political debate we have in America today. Um, I mean, it, it, should, should the government take 95% of my wealth? I mean, that's crazy to, to believe that. But to me, that pales to, to, to arguing, as Democrats do and have, that a woman should be allowed to have an abortion because she chooses to up until, I mean, it's almost like a woman's eight months pregnant. And in the, in the eight and a half months, she says, you know, I've had some things happen in my life and I'm not ready for this and casually go to an abortion center and, and kill that baby at eight. And I mean, if you're for that, I'm sorry. I mean, you're, you're, you're the reason America's in decline. And, and I think you've got to be called what you are. You're not just a liberal. You're not just um, in the way of advancing a conservative agenda. You're evil. I mean, you're evil, you're wicked, and, and I don't want to be judgmental, but I don't know how you square that up with God. And the only other word that I can is godless. Um, I, I, I would, Christians, Remember the scenario that the former crazy Virginia governor yeah, described? of course I, I mean, do. That's what, the, that's the, what the baby is for. born, the baby is kept comfortable, and then the mom, with some sort of counseling, decides, decides. what's next. That's her. That's his word, Ralph Northam. That's who you're talking yep. about. He uh, decides what's next. Guys, I'm, that, that's not disgusting or vile. That's not left or right. That's evil. That's godless. And I, and I just think, you know, God kind of lets us get away with um, some things on electric cars or, or taxes or, you know, the, uh, the health insurance marketplace. But there, uh, I think there's a, a degree of intolerance that he has for us when we make those sorts of decisions. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. It's Jamie. Morning, sir. Good morning, fellas. How you doing? Um, I, I was going to talk about the the vile nature of some of the posts I've seen online, and I mean, I mean, it is a vile, vile nature. Some of these people that I know are using words that you know, are attacking not only me, but other people that are making posts about about this thing. And I think they're going to lose. I think the, um, the abortion right people are going to lose um, membership in their, in their movement to the younger people because nobody likes to wake up every morning hating other people. And that's, this group is a hateful group and, I think the younger people are just going to say, "Look, man, I got too much going on to to, to be involved with such a hate group." And not only that, it, it's available to me in other states if I if I need, you know, uh, an abortion. And um, I mean, there's a list going around um, that these liberals are posting. There's like 15 reasons why they believe they should have a, an abortion. What, number seven was, "What if I go out?" nachos and a couple of margaritas and and i get pregnant that night and that's not what i wanted to have happen <laughs> i mean that's to me that's just ridiculous and um another fr- a very good friend of mine um her parents both were um survivors of the, the nazi regime um had had the tattoos the numbers on their arms i mean to me 
you know, this abortion, the Roe versus Wade thing has become something that I think Hitler would would just revel in. Um, you know, I just think it's something that he would really, you know, look at and, and appreciate. Um, but those are the things that, that I was uh, seeing online. And I, but I do believe this movement is going to lose some momentum over time because the younger people are just not going to get on board um, and think that this is the biggest issue in their life when it's available somewhere else in, in the country. Um, Ken, let me ask you one more thing before I hang up. Um, is the election for the educational board tomorrow, and do you have any numbers on that? And I'll hang up. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. I'll address all the other uh, posts on Facebook and Twitter and some of the other um, social media sites, some of the websites. I mean, some of the reputable websites are a little bit alarming and disturbing as far as I'm concerned. Yes, the election is tomorrow between Ellen Weaver and Kathy Manus, um, superintendent of education. There's several other runoffs in the state. That would be the, the most noted and highest priority of the majority of you out there listening to my voice. Uh, Friday, I went on the record and told you that I was publicly supporting Ellen Weaver because I think we've we failed at education in South. I'm not talking about every school district sucks. You hear me, Carl? I'm not talking about every school district sucks. Some have done a good job. Some have not. But collectively and in the aggregate, South Carolina is still about 48 in America. And um, and we've got to address that in some way, shape, or form. And it seems to me the best way to do that is to introduce competition to the marketplace of education. And there's one candidate that seems to be committed that's convinced me that they're genuine in wanting to bring competition into the marketplace. One of the interesting questions, uh, maybe the only interesting question I asked in the debate um, last week was, should public funds be used in private schools? I mean, in other words, should should Dave Baker's daughter be allowed to go to public, or excuse me, private school uh, with a voucher that he gets from the ad valorem taxes, whatever taxes he pays to fund education, um, they give Rev $12,650. He puts that money uh, in his kid's backpack and says, okay, this is where I want you to go. That's the fundamental issue before us. Um, you can sidestep and dance around school choice by talking about charters and magnets. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of complication in that debate. But the reality is until we allow the money to follow the child, we're not maximizing what I think is an essential ingredient to public education and I understand. I mean, you're taking money out of the public education system, but you're giving that parent a right to send that kid where they choose. And I just think it's it's ludicrous to force Dave Baker to pay his taxes that funds education and also send his kid to a private school. Well, that's the choice he makes. Yeah, but I mean, he's, he's paying for something that he's not using because he doesn't believe it's very good. I mean, you're forcing him to send his kid to a failing school, and he doesn't think that school is very good. He should have the choice. I mean, he should have the right to say, this is the best education choice for my kid, and this is where he's going. And it's been a long time in South Carolina since we've had someone who genuinely seems committed to allowing those sorts of change or that sort of change to happen in public education. Um, I think both ladies are competent. I mean, I think they're both versed. I think they both understand education, quote, unquote, 
in South Carolina, but but one appears to me to be committed to competition and choice, and that's the starting place. I mean, if we're going to make education better in South Carolina, um, you, you know, we talked a lot about. I mean, Ellen and, and Kathy and and Carl and I have had conversations about the breakdown of the family. I think we all know that's a problem. I mean, every but government can't make people get married. Government can't make people stay married. Government can't uh, make the father stay at home. Government can't, you know, put a shock collar on a dude. And every time he wanders off, they shock him back into into place. I mean, that's not the role of government. At some point in time, guys, we, we got to reinstitute personal responsibility. I mean, in every walk of life, whether it's abortion, whether it's gay, I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever issue you want to talk about, personal responsibility and self-governance are essential to making it work or not. So... Um, yeah, I'm for Ellen Weaver jam. As far as the polls go, I've not seen a poll. I heard over the weekend, it's a toss up. I mean, I've heard from two people who are close to that race. One's actually working for one of the campaigns and they believe it's kind of 50, 50 one way or the other. Um, I said is Manus did get more votes in the primary election. Got about 101,000 and Weaver got about 78,000. Um, I think one got 30% of the vote. The other got about 23 percent of the vote here here's the deal i mean let, let's break it down teachers are going to vote because they have something at stake the majority of teachers about 65 35 vote democrat so if they believe manus is a status quo education establishment figure the teachers aren't going to vote for weaver i, I would argue 80 20 ellen will lose the teachers 80 to 20 percent but will and they're going to vote because they you know they're teachers and you're talking about the person leading the education agency in our state but it's up to republican primary voters you've elected your governor you voted tom rice out of office you, you voted um nancy mace back into office you voted for whomever it is you went to the poll two weeks ago to vote for will the republican primary conservative voter go back to the poll tomorrow if they do weaver wins if they don't she loses I mean, the fate, and, and I mean that sincerely, I think it's as simple as that. The teachers are going to show up, and, and more likely they're going to vote for Manus. But the Republican primary voter, if they show up, are more likely to vote for whom? The person who genuinely insists we introduce competition and choice into the marketplace of public education. So if the Republican primary voter shows up a little bit, Weaver loses. If they show up okay, it's real, real close. If they show up, like I think they should show up, if they genuinely want reform in education, I think Weaver wins. Let's go to the phone. So it's all about turnout. It absolutely is. Absolutely all about turnout. Morris in Sumter listening to WDXY. Hello, Morris. Yes, good morning. Good morning, Ken. How are you guys doing? Doing good, sir. How are you? Doing just fine. Okay, well, uh, my, my take on abortion, uh, it gets, I know we kind of get in the weeds with all of this, but. I think, uh, say, if we start at this from the religious standpoint, and if we consider where God is coming from in the matter of life, uh, he's pretty much uh, he's pretty much spelled it out. To him, life is sacred. We're all created in God's image, and for that reason and that reason alone, all life is special. All life is sacred. If we start from that point, and looking at it from another angle. Uh, God does give us the freedom of choice. We can choose to do whatever we want to do 
uh, whether, you know, to protect that life or whether to abort it. That decision is still up to us, and and God has given us the uh, gift of choice. We can decide what we want to do. But the question is, do we want to suffer the consequences? I mean, a mother who aborts a child, what what are the consequences of that, Uh, regardless of whether the child was a a product of incest or rape or whatever? uh, What are the consequences to the mother? Depression, psychological damage, guilt for the rest of her life that she snuffed out an innocent human being? So, I mean... Uh, unless she gets help, uh, where's that going to leave her? The child itself. Now, the child, if you look at it from the child's vantage, this is an innocent child. It doesn't matter how he was or she was conceived, where she came from, she's still innocent. The baby is still innocent. Didn't ask to be born, didn't ask to be conceived. And so the question should this child have a right to be born to live a fruitful, productive life. Now, looking at it from the angle of the law, uh, civil law, uh, at least historically in America, has always come down on the side that all life is special, all human life is special, all human life is sacred, and therefore should be protected. And so if that's the starting point, I think it kind of clears out some of the cobwebs. Maybe I'm looking at it. Maybe I'm a little bit too simplistic or whatever. And that does it. Uh, the, the laws, if it looks at it from that angle, then uh, all life should be protected. Life should be spared. And that does leave room for compassion of the mother. Okay. Say a mother has a child. She doesn't really want the child. She doesn't know how she can support the child, provide for it. Well, there's got to be room. I mean, what about adoption? Isn't that an option? I mean, um, uh, there's a lot of parents that would love to adopt a child, and yet the uh, laws make it so very complicated to even do that. Maybe those laws need to be loosened up. Well, I've, I've talked too long, Ken. Listen, I, I uh, listen to you guys every day. Uh, sometimes some of the things I hear, I don't always agree with them, but I'll tell you, I always come out a little bit smarter. I know a little bit more than when I first started. I appreciate you guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Thanks. sir. Very kind of you to say that. Appreciate your comments as well. They seem to be very well measured, very well thought out. Um, I think one thing that people of faith have to understand is everybody uh, don't fall in that category. I mean, you know, other people settle things in a very secular sort of way. Um, it's the, I mean, it's, it's America. It's, it's an experiment self-governance. But, but I do believe it requires some degree of, uh, of morality. It's not all about winning and losing. It's not all about, you know, taxes and electric cars. Or I think there are certain times in America that we must depend on our moral compass. And I think for a long, long, long time, Roe v. Wade allowed for the destruction of human life, the killing of innocent babies, uh, to the point that it, it clouded America's morality, it, it clouded our moral judgment, and and I think we righted that. Now, once again, are we a more moral nation today than we were uh, before Roe v. Wade? We'll see. We'll see what happens now that it's back in the hands, which should have been all along, of the states. Take a break. Back in a minute. Should the federal government define life? 
Let me ask you that. I mean, the federal government does a lot of, should the federal government, because someone's asking me uh, on text, what, what if they, uh, what if California has a very liberal abortion law? Uh, talking about Ralph Northam at Virginia, the baby's born and then the baby's killed. Um, should the federal government intervene? In, I mean, we can debate life incest, life of the mother. We can debate life begins at conception. I mean, there, there are a lot of complications <laughs> Square to that these debates. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of well, I mean, And that's though. where I'm headed. I mean, you know, at what time is it indisputably life? At what time is it, I mean, are, are we killing living, breathing humans? I mean, if a baby's born and it's made to be at peace or at rest, and then you decide what to do, and it's, it's killed. I, that, that's, does the federal government have a responsibility or an obligation to define life? Uh, don't know. That's kind of an interesting, perplexing debate to ponder. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Darlington. Hello, Sam. Hello, Dave and Ken. Hey, Sam. Uh, I'm glad you're talking about this issue today. Um, I think I have two things to say. First, uh, congratulations to all in order. For the people who stuck with this issue for 50 years uh, and the, the political side of it, I, 40 years ago I was active in the political side of it, Florence County Citizens for Life and South Carolina Citizens for Life. I, I shifted off to more to concentrate on persuasion and, and that sort of thing. But um, but I, I do think they deserve congratulations. And I heard a a lady on uh, NPR this morning on uh, public radio said, you know, she said, when we're on the, on the pro-choice side, we need to realize that, that these, our opponents worked at this thing for 50 years, you know, and, and if we want to change it, we've got to be willing to put in the work, too. So that's sort of a, a backhanded compliment. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was uh, the mother... Uh, regardless of what any law says, the mother is the primary and indispensable health care provider or guardian of the unborn child. And I mean, if a woman gets pregnant, she, she just not having an abortion is one decision, but then she's got to, she wants to, to uh, look after the welfare of that child inside of her. She's got to watch her diet. She's got to watch her exercise. She's got to be uh, cautious about any drugs and so forth. And, uh, you know, I don't know that the sheriff can really police that. You know, I, it's, it's, uh, we can't get rid of the, we can't bypass the mother's primary responsibility and, um, and her freedom to, to fulfill that responsibility. So I, I uh, applaud people that are, working with crisis pregnancy centers and, you know, helping, helping the mothers. And uh, I do think South Carolina can be proud of the fact that, as I understand it, uh, if a, a mother, ha you know, has an unwanted pregnancy or, or she, you know, has economic problems with this thing, doesn't have health insurance, she can go to uh, South Carolina, I guess, Welfare Department of the county and, and she can get on Medicaid, uh, not only for the duration of her pregnancy, but Sam, for we, we got a hard break top of the hour. I'm sorry to cut you off, but we'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Uh, programming note real quick. We'll be here this week. We will not be here next week. We'll have the best we could do of Wake Up Carolina, Freehold, and Rev. We'll kind of get together and 
dig deep into the folder and files and see if we can find something <laughs> worth we repeating find. that we've said because <laughs> we don't say much worth repeating but you folks are stuck with a uh, a taped edition of wake up carolina next week from six until nine if i'm not mistaken we're not going to do four hours it'll be three hours am i right i'm That's right. the guy in charge of yeah. that the best of programs are six to nine and then we join glenn beck okay. at nine good deal um i want to go back to something sam said and then we'll go to the call here um the debate yesterday that was most interesting to me was Peggy Noonan. Um, no friend of Trump, no friend of conservative America, first America, but Noonan, who's an establishment Republican, kind of, sort of, um, Washington insider, more than anything, was arguing, nah, not arguing, that's unfair, debating with Andrea Mitchell of uh, NBC News that this has not been abrupt. This is not a shock. This is not... Um, something that happened overnight. The pro-life movement has been a long time coming. I mean, they worked diligently, um, indeed tirelessly on behalf of um, of Save the Unborn, and it seemed over and over again an unwillingness of the court to overrule Roe, um, even after Republican-appointed justices and Republican-appointed justices um, and along comes Donald Trump, and along comes Gorsuch, Barrett, and Kavanaugh, and along comes no longer the Roberts court, but instead the Trump court. The Roberts court didn't overturn Roe v. Wade. The Trump court overturned Roe v. Wade, and there's irony all over the place in this debate, but I think the one thing Sam said, there have been many, many people who have dedicated nearly all of their political involvement to this single cause. Um Alexa Newman comes to mind for me. Once again, I called her name earlier. I hope Alexa doesn't mind me doing that. But um, she is a lady um, that I got to know in my political past when I ran for lieutenant governor, very kind to me. In fact, was a contributor to my campaign. Uh, but she was almost singularly focused on these crisis centers. Um, and you said when you heard the news on Friday, you thought of people like I that. did. I mean, I thought of the eight or nine people. I'm no pro-life warrior. I am pro-life. I'm unapologetically pro-life. But I've not given to the movement what these people have given year after year, election after election. How many trips to Washington? How many trips to Columbia? No idea. But when I when I heard the news, when the news broke Friday morning, and I was pulling into the gym parking lot at McLeod, and, and I got a little bit emotional. And I began, like, why are you getting so emotional? And, and I thought about Alexa. And I thought about the other seven or eight people that I got to know in my political life that were unbelievably committed and unpassionately um, supportive of, you know, women who had gotten themselves in bad ways. And, and when I talk about, you know, these crisis centers, a woman comes to a crisis center, a young girl, a young female, confused and scared and intimidated, and they would take those people in and they, were offer, they would offer an alternative that they would say, look, you don't have to have an abortion and here's why. You know, we can do this. Here's an option. Here's another option. Here's a here's the third option. I'm not saying that it worked every time, but but they met those women where they were. And th those are the people that I have enormous respect for, hold in high regard, and should be celebrating today because the work they did, both in the public and behind the scenes, um, came to fruition. And, and I just can't imagine what those people felt like when they were told that Roe v. Wade was no longer law of the land. I mean, say that out loud, guys. Roe v. Wade is no longer law of the land. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hi, David. 
Hey, good morning, uh, Ken. I was 11 years old going to football practice when Elvis died. So, I, man, that sounded like a same memory somebody else had. Um, this is what's kind of interesting about that. Uh, there was not only did Colonel Parker get on Elvis, Uncle Sam did too. Uh, think about that. If you look at the tax rate that those guys paid back in those days, and if only Elvis would have known that Reagan would lower those tax rates, that might have changed that whole economic part of it as well. And my whole thing is, guess what? Uncle Sam has turned into Colonel Parker. Uh, because if you think about it, what does a carny do? You have to pay up a whole bunch of money to get in there to start with. You go walk around and you may shoot, you know, shoot a little shooting gallery or whatever, and you end up with a 25-cent teddy bear. So they'll take your money up front, and then you walk away with the 25-cent teddy bear. Now, to get involved in Elvis's life, I'm telling you, man, here's a guy that he didn't have black hair. The man had to dye his hair. Can you imagine that, waking up every day, you got to have your hair black? This is where I can't imagine this. How do you dye sideburns? I mean, that's another thing. He had to dye his um, eyebrows. So that's how conflicted this guy was, but he had so much talent. And we get into the government. Um, I mean, the guy, that was what I call trickle-down economics. He was out there putting his butt off every night to make money for the Red West and Sunny West and Joe Esposito and Jerry Schilling. Ronnie Tut, I mean, he's making money for these guys, but the old Colonel's taking his cut too. So I, I just wish that he had an opportunity to get to those Reagan tax cuts. And I've always, here's, and I'll leave you this, in my mind, if he'd only met Cher, and Cher would have said, snap out of it. And he'd get the strong guy, strong woman. Strong women can do a lot of things. Thank you. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Yeah, I went to see the movie, um, the Elvis blockbuster. Uh, Tom Hanks played Turn, Tom, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, and the movie centered around that relationship. And I text Rev, uh, was it Friday night or Saturday? I think I texted you maybe yesterday. Mm-hmm. I said, I was kind of prepping for the show, and I said, I've got this inverse Elvis theory. <laughs> you did. And you said I sarcastically, couldn't. I can't only wait to hear the, the inverse Elvis theory. <laughs> Here's the inverse Elvis theory. You ready? If Elvis didn't perform, nobody ate. Nobody else worked. I mean, he was on stage every night. Um, and I'm talking about everybody from his, the, the guys he grew up with who hung around, bummed, um, you know, off his talent. I'm talking about the RCA record executives that signed him. I'm talking about folks at the International Hotel in Las Vegas. Obviously, Colonel Parker and his family and his friends. And I mean, he was the breadwinner. He was the golden goose. And... Everybody was so consumed by making sure this guy gets on stage because, Rev, if he doesn't, you don't go, as I said earlier, from driving a Bentley to a Mercedes. You go from driving a Bentley to walking. You you don't bring anything to the equation. Um, Parker did. I mean, Parker was a promoter, and he promoted Elvis in that sort of way. But their whole lives, everybody in that movie required Elvis to go on stage. And, I mean, it's almost like I told Rev, as a baseball guy, uh, just imagine – the starting pitcher yesterday is pitching again today. 
and he's pitching again tomorrow and the next day. And uh, sooner or later, he's wearing him out. There's nothing left there. And what do you do? You start taking a shot in your arm or you take a handful of pain pills. And I'm convinced that th- those folks who believed and, and you know, kind of order- argued that they loved Elvis, I don't know if they loved Elvis or they loved what he did for them. And everybody ate because he performed. The inverse Elvis theory is so so everybody's life is different if Elvis isn't there. The inverse Elvis theory includes Donald Trump. Everybody's life is different if he is there. Um, all the political establishment, all the political elites, all the lobbyists, all the consultants, those folks who have built this machine, they need him gone. So so just the opposite of Elvis. If Elvis isn't there, nobody lives like they need to. If Trump is there, nobody lives like they need to i mean they've rigged the game and and they need him gone so um that's kind of the uh, the inverse elvis theory but but it was a tragedy it was it was sad uh to watch a guy with enormous talent i mean i'm arguing he had supernatural talent take take that for what it's worth I, I i still believe that i think there's some people a few people that god just for whatever reason says I'm going to make you a little bit different than everybody else. I'm not talking about work ethic. I'm not talking about fortitude. I'm not talking about stick to I'm not talking about a guy that just grinds, disciplines himself, lifts more weights, runs more laps. Uh, you know what I mean? Just uh, sings more chords. Uh, I think that, that applies to most. I think really good talent or great talent that, that works hard becomes iconic. But I think some people are just exceptionally talented. And I think he was one of those guys exceptionally talented. And everybody knew it. And everybody didn't want a piece of his action. And uh, before you know it, you got 20 high school friends. You got 10 family members. You got 10 radio, excuse me, television executives, uh, radio company executives, record company executives. You got, you know, six hotel executives. You got nine managers and consultants, and everybody, everybody's livelihood is dependent on you getting on that stage night after night after night. And they just killed him. I mean, you can argue he killed himself. He took the pills, no doubt about it. He wrecked his life, no doubt about it. But why? And I think if you go see the movie, I mean, there's some creative liberties, and Superman don't fly. But the family basically said it's pretty historically accurate and. Colonel Parker settled a suit out of court, basically abuse, that he abused Elvis to the point of just kind of like a pitcher, just send him out there every single day, uh, no matter what's wrong with his arm. He can pitch, he can pitch, he can pitch. He can perform, he can perform, he can uh, perform. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Timminsville. Good morning, Mike. Morning, gentlemen. Hey, Mike. First, first thing, I enjoy your show very much. Second thing, I agree with the your your um your take on the Elvis movie. And uh gentlemen, if a young lady steps out of a doctor's office and she finds out she's she's just pregnant, excited, or she steps out from whatever and she's six month pregnant and she gets killed, the person or whoever gets charged with two murders. So is it a child or not? Now, the next question is, I have never heard anybody say, congratulations, we're having a fetus. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And um, that's kind of where I stand, uh, are closely aligned mm-hmm. with that with that position. And I said, as a fellow fetus, or, or from one fetus to another, um, the one thing, and Larry said, that we all have in common, we were conceived. I mean, if you're here today, listen to my voice, you were conceived. Um, I think life begins conception. 
Uh, you asking me a second ago about codify. What, what do they mean? I mean, that scares you when the federal government, the Democrats say, got to codify some of these laws. Codification simply means we got to put them in order. Uh, is it alphabetically? Is it chronologically? Um, if you were to codify your, I'll give you an example. To codify your family photo album, you would put them in chronological hmm. argue. Uh, chronological. You've heard that used to describe what, what they, I guess what they somewhat on the Democrat side would plan to do with the, with the Roe v. Wade, but, but here's the right deal. Abortion. Here, here's the problem but, with the left. I didn't right understand now. what that, what, what, the context of that word. Well, I mean, it, 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 it means well. It means let's not do what the court said do. You know, let's codify. Let's get let's get real creative and systematically rearrange these laws um, so that the lawsuit doesn't apply. But the lawsuit applies, guys. And I think the best argument to make, and, and this is where I got real not frustrated. I don't get frustrated with people much anymore. Um, but the majority of you out there giving opinions on. Uh, this legislation simply don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. You just don't. I mean, I, I don't do heart surgery. I don't I don't change motors out of one car and another. We all do different things. Um, I've been in politics for roughly 20 years now, and I've immersed myself in it. I mean, I had a lot of catching up to do, and I've tried to, to really understand why the central issues to American politics, why they're important, and, and you know, what, what, what a decent understanding of those of those issues are and over the weekend it amazed me how many people of i'd say above average intelligence just don't understand it i mean they just simply refuse to to accept it i mean i saw facebook posts and 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 you know a tweet on twitter and a uh, i don't know a comment on a facebook post and i'm like i know that person they're not that dumb that they can't be that stupid they're blinded by this political belief that they have but all we did guys was was put abortion laws back into the hands of the state governments and that's the way it's always been intended if the if the constitution does not specifically speak to issue a b or c whatever that issue is it it refers it to the constitution or defers to the constitution the argument i saw over and over again was gun rights it was like well i mean the, the conservatives like it when the states you know, regulate gun rights, or excuse me, when the federal government doesn't regulate gun rights, but they don't like it when the federal government doesn't regulate. I mean, well, I mean, it's, it's two separate things. The Constitution does not explicitly give you the right to have an abortion. Uh, there's a reason. It's not a constitutional right. You want to amend the Constitution? Let's amend the Constitution. I'm trying to find this real quick because I want to read this verbatim. I don't want to make this up. I want to read it. See, I lost a bunch of Facebook friends over the weekend because um, I got pretty aggressive in my uh, opinion about oh really yeah i mean oh, that they, always they, happens the left doesn't like arguing with you they just like to check out on you oh wow you know they, they want to bait the issue um in other words i mean i keep five thousand friends that's mm -hmm. all you can have as a was it a private account i, mean, I think you can go yeah. public and do something i ain't doing all that uh anyway uh so when someone goes off i'll go through my thing and i'll click mm -hmm. on or whatever and, and add people so um i did it three times over the weekend did it twice saturday because i lost like 12 saturday and then later saturday i lost like 13 more um, and I just add friends because there's a kind of a, a list here. I'm fortunate to have people that want to be uh, friends on Facebook. But um, the founders intended, I mean, here's my words on Facebook. You ready? The founders intended the federal government's powers to be limited. In the Federalist Papers, James Madison noted, his words, not mine, the powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in state governments are numerous and indefinite. Uh, that does sound a bit wonkish, but it's easy to understand. 
The Second Amendment explicitly gives you the right to keep and bear arms, period. The, the states will curtail. We just had a, a vote on red flag laws. Um, they will add another layer of government to, to what I would all argue is already a, kind of a highly ineffective layer of government. But, but the federal government says you have a right to keep and bear arms. The states have a right uh, to go so far with, um, what am I trying to say here, impairing your right. Um, the, the courts ruled that New York City had gone too far. I mean, the court said you can't do that. The, the New York, the Bruin case that uh, Thomas wrote, the majority opinion, the state of New York has had on its books for over 100 years, and, and I've tried to find out over the weekend, how in the hell did that law stay on the books for over 100 years? And I can't find out because it's an absurd law. It basically says that in New York, you must prove that you need a gun. You must prove to be at higher risk. Um, th- th- there, there's some imminent threat that you have to deal with daily. And, and the court said that's absurd um background checks are reasonable you may not like them but they're reasonable red flags are reasonable mental health evaluations are reasonable the states and government uh the federal government has decided you know that there's some reasonable uh what do we say about absolutists you can't yell fire in a crowd of theater uh you can't be a mentally ill 16 year old and go buy a gun or own a gun there's some practical limitations here but but the second amendment it explicitly gives you the right to keep and bear arms. Red flag laws probably hinder, curtail some gun ownership, but not. But there, there's kind of a dividing line there. What, what is constitutional? What is not? But the Constitution does not allow for abortions. It does not give you a constitutional right to go have an abortion. And, and as Madison said in the Federalist Papers, where the Constitution does not specifically speak, we defer to the states. That's federalism. That's how our founders intended our country to be governed. Now, my guy, Jefferson, federalism wasn't good enough for him. He wanted even more watered down uh, federal government and an even more strong um, state government. But Madison and the Federalist Papers are kind of uh, what created the balance between the federal and the state government. So when I read these comments, and, and they're by people who went to college, and they got degrees, and they have good jobs, and they normally know what they're talking about. And they're saying, well, I mean, these crazy conservatives, they like the federal government, you know, when it, um, when it takes the, the power from the state on gun laws, but they don't like it when it gives the power to the states on abortion. They're two fundamentally different That's issues. Weak. I mean, it's, it's not even, it's, it's not even an argument. It, it's not a weak argument. I mean, I'll listen to a weak argument. I may try to make weak arguments. There is no argument to be made here. That they are not even the same universe. They're not even the same galaxy. One is over here, um, shortstop under Pluto. The other second base under under Mars. Kind of an inside joke if you listened last week. <laughs> We're too far apart. We're too far <laughs> apart. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Earl in Bennettsville. Good morning, Earl. Good morning, sir. couple of comments I'd like to make. Number one on the abortion issue. In this country, if a woman gives birth to a child and that child is addicted to drugs, the mother goes to jail. But if a mother kills a child, she doesn't go to jail. The second comment on schools, I live in Marlboro County. Now, South Carolina has the 48th 
worst school system in the country. Marlboro County has almost the worst performing school system in the state. So when it comes to my tax dollars, and I don't have children in school, but I do have grandchildren, I think a parent should have the right to take the money that supports that child in public school and use it for a private education if they feel that the private education is better, period. That's all I had to say. Thank you. I agree 100% with what you said. I've always been a believer, and I'm a product of public education. And, you know, if, if you think public education is the way to go, then send your kid to a public school. But I just think it's a sad day in America when something as important as an education is dictated by the government. You live here, therefore you must carry your kid there. You live over here, there must you must carry your, carry your kid over there. I think the more opportunities parents have to decide, the more competition we bring to the marketplace, the better education gets. And, you know, the argument is, well, I mean, we'll drain all the uh, basically, here's what they're saying without saying it. You ready? If if we if we take money away from the bad and failing schools, they'll fail. They they'll they'll no longer exist. Well, I mean that's called the marketplace. I mean, the, we've got to have a marketplace or something resembling a marketplace in education. It's too important to allow us to do it the way we're doing it today. Um, we prop up bad schools. We cover for bad teachers. We we've got to get some of these practical realities into the marketplace of education. And I think the most important point is Dave Baker has a kid. Earl has a kid, a grandkid. The family consults with one another. They believe that school over there is the best place to provide Dave Baker's kid uh, an education that will allow him to be gainfully employed and have a bright future and do whatever it is he chooses to do. Don't force that kid to go to a bad school. That's nonsensical. That makes no sense. Now, now public educators and advocates of public education, the current construct, they'll argue, well, we got charter schools and magnet schools. Uh, we got competition. No, we need, we need absolute competition. We need unfettered capitalism. And unfettered capitalism means the money pins to the backpack. The family makes a decision where that kid goes to school. And if public schools can't compete, they close down. I mean, that, that's just the, the hard, cold, hard truth. If a school is failing, why do we continue to fund a failing school? But we do. Not only do we fund that failing school, we demand and see us require kids to attend that failing school. Let's go to the phone. Sounds crazy when you say it like that. Here's Wayne in Florence. Morning, Wayne. Hey, I got, um, I got two things I want to talk about. Guns. Now, the Second Amendment says we have a right to bear arms, right? It doesn't say, it doesn't specify what type of weapons. Correct. Is that correct? correct? Mm -hmm. I consider myself a conservative, but I think that there should be some restrictions on guns. Nobody needs an AK-47. Nobody. You might want one, but nobody needs it. So some some guns should be restricted. Some people should be restricted who can have them and who can't. Felons can't have guns. Correct. Correct. If you so, there should be some restrictions. I don't think anybody needs an AK forty seven. You're not to defend your house. You can do that with a pistol. You can do that with a rifle. You don't need an AK forty seven. 
What what, what do you do, Wayne? Let, let me play devil's advocate for a second. I mean, I agree with you that there need to be some restrictions. And there are restrictions. But, but you and I may disagree on, on where it needs to be. What if you are defending your – because I was kind of like you. I mean, I was a little bit uh, squishy on what do you need that kind of gun with that many rounds in it at one time. I just don't understand that. Until the riots, and I saw people trying to defend their business, and, and a mob came towards them of 20 or 25 or, or 30 people – I mean, how do I defend myself and my business, my property, if I've only got six or eight bullets and 20 or 25 people are heading my way, causing me trouble? Well, well, a nine millimeter, you can have you can have 10 magazines and they're, they're easy, easy to dispense, to get dispense of and get into your weapon. You don't need an AK-47 that's got 150 rounds when you can have 10 magazines that could do the same thing. But I don't think an AK-47 has 150 rounds, does it, Wayne? From what I'm, I mean, isn't it like 20 well, to 30 I, rounds? Well, whatever it is. I mean, I, I look, so, so I'll I agree with you. No, no, hey, I, stick with me. I'll agree with you that there's a cutting off point. I mean, I had a guy in here, he was a gun advocate. I mean, he's, he's a, and he's very versed, he's very knowledgeable, he understands what he's talking about. But, but I asked him the question, should someone be allowed to have a surface-to-air missile? I think I might have said a grenade launcher. That was the should, same thing I was going to yes, say. Yes, should, should someone be allowed to have a grenade launcher in their storage room in their garage? And he said, that's a good question. I said, no, that's a stupid question. I mean, you don't need a, a grenade launcher. I mean, I, I'll agree with you that we need to have certain restraints on gun ownership. I'm just probably a little further down the road than an AK-47. I'm not bothered at all. By, by people in the public owning AK-47s. And, and, and this, this country was founded on your rights to have your opinion and my rights to have my opinion. Sure, sure. And so that's where, that's where, that's where the left gets kind of skewed is because when it's their opinion, they're all for it. But when it's your opinion, they're 100% against it. And they, they want to be on both sides of the fence. And you can't be on both sides of the fence. Thank you, Wayne. Well, they, they want to shut down. Well, and there you go. But the, the left doesn't. The left doesn't want to argue with you about your opinion. Wayne and I didn't argue. We had a disagreement. I mean, I think people should be able to own AK-47s. I'm and, not. And bothered. we have an open forum here where sure. we ask people to call and give their opinions. But, but the political left today, once they believe, once they've made their mind up that this is what needs to happen, anybody that disagrees with that needs to be censored. They need to be shut down, not allowed to be participatory in the debate. And and once again, I, Wayne's a conservative. I'm a conservative. Um, I believe there need to be some degree of restraint in the Second Amendment. Wayne believes. Um, he said people don't need AK-47s. It doesn't bother me that people have ak 4 I wish we lived in a world where people didn't need an AK-47, but we don't live in that world. The practical reality is there are people out there that wish to harm us, and sometimes they come in mobs, and I think you should be allowed to in your own judgment, decide what is what it is what, what is required to keep you, your family, and property um, safe and secure. But the point, the, the, it's a very valid point that in, in America today, the, the political left makes their mind up what needs to happen, and anybody that steps outside of the boundaries of what that reasoning or, or rationale is, you get shut down. Your opinion doesn't matter. Why? Because it disagrees with ours. And we are the ones that have decided this is the way this thing plays out. Let's go to the phone. Craig in Florence. Hi, Craig. Hey, how you doing there, Ken? Hey, Craig. I'd like to, I'd like to touch upon the uh, abortion issue and remind everybody that, um, you know, it's, um, it's just as much the responsibility of the man um, as the woman. It's, it's pretty 
synonymous with a quarterback might be the the man, you know, passing off the handing off the football to the halfback, which is the woman, and she scores the touchdown, and together they have the child. I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty athletic to look at it like that in that respect. But, you know, you're in it together. And so um, the man really, you know, should be supportive um, of the, of the woman, uh, you know, making the right decision. And it's a decision that they should consider um, with, look, God gave us all a conscience and everybody's, probably thinking right now oh here's the religious caller well guess what it all it all really comes down to to the creator on this issue because you can take man can take a sin and make it a law and it doesn't make it right between man and god that's the bottom line and what we're trying to do here is that's what we're trying to do is, is, is we're trying to take, you know, the pleasures of man and, and turn it into, you know, a me, it's a, it's a me generation, a me situation where, well, is it convenient for me to keep the baby or not? You know, well, God blew the simple, his simple uh, life into dust. So why would you think that, you know, uh, something so intricate as sperm and, you know, the egg of a woman would, not be life it is life and the fact is is we have to look at the conscience which is the fingerprint of god and we have to once again we have to look at each person and they have to investigate and search their soul when they find themselves in this position and they have to say look you know how do i feel about this you know they have to understand too that there are you know, there are consequences to having an abortion. And by South Carolina saying, look, we're not going to support this, what South Carolina or any state that says they're not going to support such a movement as an abortion, what they're really saying is we fear the Lord and we want to make it right with the Lord. We're not supporting this. It's like having a dry town. So, and that's what I have to say about the issue. And, and it is so important to be right with the Lord. And y'all can sit out there and say, oh, who's the Lord? Uh, is, does he really? Yes, he exists. He's every time you think about, gee, I feel guilty for what I just did. Y'all need to think about that. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the call. The, to me, there's no political issue that needs more um, consideration of faith. Uh, you know, so some people are, are, are of faith, some aren't. I mean, some believe in, in, the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, some don't. Some believe in Judaism or, or Buddhism or Hinduism or, or whatever um, supernatural religion you play or pay loyalties to. I mean, I'm a Christian. I believe in the, uh, in the virgin birth, the crucifixion, the resurrection. But it doesn't mean you do. And it doesn't mean I have to force my agenda. But, but when it comes to abortion, the, the central issue in abortion is what? Life. Are, are, we, are we destroying innocent life? Are we killing babies or not? And I don't know how you contemplate the issue of life and conception unless there's a moral component. And to me, when I seek my moral compass, when I, when I try to discern what good morality and bad morality is, I don't go to Webster's Dictionary. I mean, I don't go to Drudge Report. I don't go to Powerline. I don't go to the National Review. 
I, I go to God's word. I mean, that, that's where I go. Now, once again, I'm not saying that's where you must go. But please understand when I offer up my opinion on life and abortion and conception and what we should or should not do as we legislate, I can't help but make it a moral issue. And my morality is hinged upon my interpretation of how my faith is integrated or intertwined into my personal decision-making. So, so, you know, when, when someone says, well, you folks don't understand me, you know, you, you don't see where I'm coming from. I think it's important to enlighten people about where you're coming from. So when it comes to, to, to life, abortion, I am compl- I, I'm almost possessed by my faith. I mean, when I go to that debate, I'm not going with spread charts and, and graphs and uh, ultrasounds and 4D images and all the, no, I'm going there with a, with a conscience that has been religiously affected. And if you go the same way I go, <laughs> I, I don't know how you end up in a place other than abortion's bad. I mean, it's real bad. Take a break. Back in a minute. Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia just around the corner, but a phone call is there. Let's go to the phone. Doug in Hartsville. Good morning, Doug. You're on the air. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Hey, uh, according about the, uh, the talk about the guns and stuff, I really love it when people who don't know me tell me what I need. And what I need to defend my family and my castle and my fellow countrymen is my business, not anybody else's. And the original reason for the Second Amendment in the first place was to be able to stop tyrannical government and push it back. So for following the spirit of the Second Amendment, if government has a grenade launcher, then the citizens should have a grenade launcher, too. So just say it. Just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. you. I've heard that argument. hundred, And I respect that. I disagree with it. But I respect that the argument. government has nuclear weapons. Yeah, uh, and we're gonna split atoms and have you know plutonium in in our basement. I mean, I, I respect that argument. Yeah. I, and oh, I think yeah. there's a way to interpret the Second Amendment that substantiates that and defends that that point of view. Um, I'm not bothered at all when you call in to take exception to what the host says. I think that makes for better radio. I think it makes for better politics. I think it makes me better, and I think it makes you better. Um, so I understand with, with complete respect the argument that gentleman just made. I just fundamentally disagree with it. But guess what? I'll bet if we sat down and drank a beer, we would agree far more than we don't. And that's fine. I think that's what Roger was talking about this morning. But when you get two political agendas diametrically opposed to one another, and it goes back to Obama, and I can only speak for me. I don't know how you felt. But when Obama got elected, I went from feeling like the political opposition to the enemy. The, the, the sworn enemy, the foe, the, the, the most dangerous people in America were those of us who did not vote for Barack Obama. And I found that troubling, insulting, um, dangerous, but it did kind of, I don't know, Rev, high, put on hyperspeed some of these divisions. I've read a lot that says that the majority of this is to blame Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich. You know, the, the hyper pop. But I mean, think about it. We had duels in the days, in the early days. We had people calling one another outside with guns. So we've always been deeply divided <laughs> on our political. New Gingrich, looking back on it, there was some compromise there on, on some consequential issues. But they were after one another. No, there's no doubt. They were absolutely after one another. Do we have time for a call or not? Okay, uh-huh. we don't have time for a call because we've got our trivia in store, Pepsi to Florence. And we're working with, I don't want to let the cat out of the back. I'm really nervous when I do this. We're working now toward a fun show Friday 
that involves a certain sponsor. Because it's gone so well nah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> last time you did it. Yeah, I goofed it up. <laughs> I goofed it up last time. Take a break. <laughs> Back in a minute.